TLC. Oh, yeah, there it is. When that robot voice comes in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we are so glad you've chosen to tune in to TLC. Especially if you're one of our geeks and sneaks, using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Or, hey, maybe you're squeezing out the last bits of summer. Maybe you're outside doing the yard work. Maybe you're walking the dog. Maybe you're just hanging out in your car trying to get a little peace and quiet. <laughs> well, we're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash DLC pod. These folks are the coolest of the cool. They bring the show to you. Their generosity, their support, their belief in us means we get to make more of these. And in exchange, they get some cool stuff, some perks, including ad-free versions of the show, video versions of the show on demand, and a whole boatload of bonus content. You've got you're feeling this Fridays. Friday brings you the show Feeling This with Christian Spicer and Alex Solman talking about the feelings behind video games. Such great content there. That's for all levels of Patreon support. We've also got, for the Cool Ranch level, the Wednesday bonus show called Paid DLC, where Lana Bashinsky joins Christian Spicer and myself. To get weird, it gets weird and fun and sometimes intense. Who knows? You got to check it out. Uh, the folks on the Discord, boy, they love the paid DLC program. That's exclusive to our patrons. But you also get the audio version of the DLC book club where Lana Bashinsky and I are reading through the Malazan books, The Fallen. So much content, all for making sure this show continues, for showing your support, for giving some value where you get value at patreon.com slash DLC pod. But this show, the main show, DLC, it's the show all about games in their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. This spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who, yes, you guessed it, is on vacation again, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hey, Jeff. Hey, sorry. I'm uh, I, I'm encumbered, and um, apparently, <laughs> podcasting while encumbered burns more oxygen. Yeah. Than when you it podcast does. not encumbered. So I'm gonna just drop a handful of crap here in the middle of my ship, and I think I'll be able to. There I am. Now I can Good podcast thinking. better. Yeah. I'm I'm happy. My my ship looks like a absolute trash heap, but I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm ready to talk now. <laughs> Christian with the thinly veiled reference to the big game we're going to be talking about this week. Oh, I can't wait to dig into Starfield. Tell you what we've been, uh, we've been playing it. We have so much to talk about, but that's not all. There's tons of news. There's a Nintendo Direct to get to. There's some really juicy tidbits, new hardware announced. What? So much to get into. But ladies and gentlemen, the good news is for you and us that we have an awesome guest to do that with. You know the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh, I'm so excited because once again, DLC stands for delving long into the cosmos because we have the co-host of Into the Aether, 
as well as podcasts at Marvel. Our friend, Brendan Bigley, is back with us. Hey, Brendan. Hello. Wow, what an apt DLC this week, huh? Yes, right. You're delving into the cosmos. Oh, yeah, baby. Uh, we're all delving into the cosmos. The big, yeah. big Bethesda cosmos. So happy to be back for this episode specifically. This is, uh, this is a real treat. So stoked. Yeah, we got, oh my gosh, we got so much to do. Let's just get right into it and start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also send comments, questions, recommendations, tips, tricks, whatever you like. We love hearing from you at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also reach out on one of our social forums, including the, uh, the, the Discord. It's 5x5DLC on Discord. We also have a subreddit, which is 5x5DLC.reddit.com. Great places to meet folks, hang out, talk about the show, and all sorts of other cool things. Be a part of the community on the Discord. But Brendan, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Well, I think I got to go with the Super Mario Wonder Direct. I, th I think that was just like a thrilling showcase of a real uh, spice getting thrown onto our good friend Mario. Yeah. yeah. Super Mario Wonder Direct was happened on August 31st. Game's coming out October 20th. Luckily, nothing else is coming out at that time. <laughs> so nice to be able to just focus on this. Um, Very no, slow to... year for games, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff coming out. But, um, uh, the, you know, one of the things that right when we saw Mario Wonder announced, one of the things that I, I said was, you know, what do you do when you've made, literally made the game to end all 2D Marios? You, you've got your Mario Maker and your Mario Maker 2. You can have infinite 2D Marios. How? Why would you ever make another 2D Mario? Well, Nintendo answered that question with, we added a whole bunch of new stuff. A whole bunch of new stuff. And I feel like this Direct really showcased how much new is in this game. We didn't just get snippets of a elephant-looking dude or this or that. We got real explicit descriptions of how this game is going to be new. And I, I think my first question to you, Brendan, is... Do they even need to do this? Like, does this change how much this game is going to sell? Or could they just been like, hey, there's a new Mario, and it would have sold exactly the same as yeah. telling people about it? If they just thrown another new Super Mario Brothers, if they said new Super Mario Brothers Switch, and that was like the release, I think people would still go wild for it. I would still go wild for it. I think every time they announce a new side scrolling Mario Brothers game, I always come at it with this degree of like, I don't know, man, do I really need a w another one of these things? And then I pick it up and I am just smitten by it every time. <laughs> like Nintendo has this incredible way of taking any ounce of cynicism left in my body and being like, just get that out of it. Just what are you, what are you even doing here? Yeah. Like, I mean, come on, man. You love to jump. You love to double jump. You love to do your <laughs> little spin. You love to shoot fire, but like you love all this stuff. And it's true. They're right. I do. Um, Super Mario Wonder, I think, looks fantastic, though. I, I, I think you're totally right in bringing up Super Mario Maker. I think that was the question when that first game got released. was like, how do you, how do you top this, Nintendo? And the answer was just throwing a two at the end of it and uh, having like, a more robust and like working online system. 
Uh, I also think just quick shout out to that game. I love the uh, course world creation in in Mario Maker 2. Great addition. Uh, But Super Mario Wonder, this direct like really, really blew me away because I think the first thing that everybody thought as soon as this game was announced and we just saw, as you mentioned, the little snippets of Elephant Mario and stuff was just like, this game really does look like they're throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall. And I think one of the key things about Mario in general and just the game design process behind Mario is this idea of, you know, the the time-honored tradition of Nintendo Mario levels being, we're going to introduce you to a concept, you're going to use that concept for like maybe this level, maybe two levels, and then you won't see it again for the rest of the game. Just when you just when you think you have a handle on it, we're introducing something else, we're doing something else, yeah. you know, and just leave you wanting more every single time, which I think is brilliant. I mean, it's it's worked for them time and time and time again. And Super Mario Wonder seems to be taking that approach, but really asking or having the player ask the question, what is even possible in this thing? And I think yeah. that's that's so thrilling and that's so exciting to go into a 2D side-scrolling Mario game for the first time in a long time and really having absolutely no idea what's coming for me is thrilling. Even the stuff that they showed in this direct, like I'm sure that's just, you know, a, a smattering of some of the stuff we're going to be introduced to. Yeah, we already knew that the the flower, the big wonder flower, which is the the name of the of the installment here, uh, was going to make a lot of wacky things happen, right? The, the idea here is that the wonder flower, you touch the wonder flower, touch the winkus, and it uh, it changes the world in very unpredictable ways, wild ways. They outlined some of them in this direct about how, you know, you know pipes start to move all wiggly-woggly. Uh, Mario can change. The world itself can change. The perspective can change. They showed, like, it turning into a top-down Mario perspective. Wild stuff. So cool. Very cool. The thing that I was most uh, intrigued by that was, uh, I think, brand new information in this direct was that that's not the only way to vary up your playstyle level to level, that there's going to be this badge system yeah. that feels very, you know, very modern sort of roguelike, uh, you know, the, the, the games that we're used to in the indie space and the, the way platformers have been sort of melded with RPGs in a lot of ways where you earn power-ups and you can equip your character with the power-ups looks like mario is adopting some of that stuff for the first time ever where you'll be able to uh you know trigger one of these badges or equip one of these badges on a level which can add you know very different kinds of play styles this grappling hook type uh vine thing that can shoot out of you or bounce off of lava for you know one time to save your life or you know, all kinds of wild different badges that are shown in in this direct. I'm curious what you think about that, Brendan, as far as um, how, what that does to the Mario, you know, uh, formula. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's thrilling, right? I mean, taking a little bit of the like Paper Mario badge system and, and uh, you know, incorporating it into the main game, I think is really is really cool. But in, in general, I just think adding more player choice isn't always a bad thing you know i i know nintendo is known for like hyper curated hyper manicured stuff here but uh i I think allowing the player to uh come at these challenges in different ways and in whatever way they want to either ratcheting up or down the difficulty in ways that they see fit i think is a really smart way of making mario a, a game that i think is like one of the most approachable games possible but still not for everybody um even more approachable um or even more difficult if people are looking for a a more intense challenge. I'm sure they're going to add some badges that are going to ratchet up the difficulty in some way, shape, or form. Um, yeah, I and love this badge system. 
it looks really cool. And, and I think very smart ways, as you said, of, of changing difficulty, they showed that you can, you know, play as the Yoshi character, which just doesn't uh, have damage, doesn't be affected by damage. So you can, yeah. you know, that's a way to play with younger players or players that don't want as much of a challenge. Smart ways to do, to do uh, difficulty levels. And if you're playing just- local multiplayer, you can jump onto Yoshi if somebody's playing as Yoshi, and then that Yoshi can run around. So fun. And so cool. if two players are playing as Yoshi, a Yoshi can ride another Yoshi. That's, I love that. Can yeah. you stack four Yoshis on top of one another? Can't oh, wait to find so. out in October. Yo- it's Yoshi's all the way down. I also love the the online stuff. Can we talk about the online stuff? Yeah, I think that's a huge, uh, a huge announcement. I mean, th- this is, uh, and you, unless you guys correct me, right? The first time that we could play a Mario game online with other people, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. A massive, massive uh, uh, part of this game that I think is going to really expand its playability and replayability. And they showed a number of systems that support that play style, including, I think, a very smart um, sort of kudos system where doing kind things to players online will earn you these little hearts, heart points that will show up on your profile at all times so people can say, hey, you look like a nice player to play with. I think I love the positive reinforcement of that yeah. instead of, you know, negative reinforcement. It's so it's so wonderful uh, to, use, to use the <laughs> word. Unfortunately, uh, it it reminds me a lot, and I'm seeing this comparison a lot online, and I and I love that. It reminds me a lot of Death Stranding and your ability to like create bridges and and throw ladders down and ropes to help players in yeah. other games, um, and and having those things be incorporated via online systems into other people's games is really wonderful. So in this game, you're able to put this standee down which uh, you can customize. I think you can unlock a bunch of different standees. The, I think the first one you get is just Mario and he's standing there. It's like a little cardboard cutout. And you, if you throw your standee down on a spot that's going to be really tough to clear and you think that a lot of people are going to die there, when somebody dies, they turn into a little ghost. And if they fly and touch your standee, they come back to life. Uh, so it's just like a little way of helping players get through kind of tougher to beat uh, spots in some of these levels, which is just so sweet. But on top of that, you also have the the ghost system where you can just see other people running around in the world like Dark Souls, for example, which is (laughs) like not a, you know, Death Stranding and Dark Souls, two games I would not be expecting to to compare to Super Mario Wonder. But here we are. Um, I I really think that that Nintendo is uh, just like throwing everything at the wall with this game. And and honestly, I think to answer your question that you posed in the beginning, what do you do to to beat Super Mario Maker or to one up Super Mario Maker? And I think. I think this is what you do. You just go so wild that people have no idea what's coming around every corner. Yeah. It's completely impossible to make this stuff in Mario Maker, right? You you do stuff that just makes Mario Maker feel obsolete almost. Um, Christian Spicer, we haven't even touched on a whole bunch of stuff in this direct. I mean, the, the bubble suit, the drill head suit, um, so much more. What is... What what was your biggest takeaway from the Mario Wonder Direct? Yeah, I wasn't impressed at all. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was crap. Um, I was really blown away by it. And I want to go back to your point, Jeff, about like, did Nintendo need to do this? No, of course, of course not. They did not. This would sell gangbusters, you know, regardless of what it is. It's a mainline Mario. The Mario movie is huge. Uh, the re-releases did really well for Nintendo as well. But what I love about Nintendo, well, one of the many things I love about Nintendo, 
and I'm sure there are exceptions to this, there are always a few exceptions, but Nintendo, I think, wasn't doing this necessarily to drum up a few more hundred or thousands of sales. They're, they put this direct out. The same reason they're making this game the way they are is they care, and they're proud of it, and there's passion to it. They've talked about how some of the designers working on this game were so excited with the creative freedom they were given to you know, experiment with new ways to take a 2D Mario. And I find that so refreshing in a world that often doesn't seem that way, where it's, you know, it's like, you'll see a movie trailer and it'll be like, from the studio that released Gone with the Wind. And you're like, oh, come on. You know, like, well, that's a stretch. You know, it's like, <laughs> please clap. You know, like all this stuff that's just like, we, we need to market this. And it really feels like Nintendo was very proud of, they're big franchises in the games that they're making and they're finding ways to push them creatively and really take big swings with these billion dollar franchises and keep doing new things. And I think wonder is, is full of that where, you know, it's not something for everyone. It is a 2d platformer, but it really feels like they are going broad, but in a way that fits with the themes of the franchise. They've done a really good job, it appears from this presentation, of kind of identifying big core tentpole themes of what makes these style of games fun and finding a multitude of ways to double down on those themes and those ideas that allows players to play their way. And while I'm sure there is a you know, new game plus style thing at the end of this game. Like you got all the levels now do all the hard levels. I, I, I'm almost certain that is going to be in this game. It's been in so many of the Nintendo games as of late in the Mario games, certainly even before that, it seems like they're bringing a lot of that style of play to the forefront and allowing you to start that way and have this, this experience that is unique to you with those badges, the different power-ups and the different play styles that, I mean, it was going to sell well regardless, but now after watching this direct, I'm like, oh, wow, Nintendo has a tie for two Game of the Year releases <laughs> in the same year? Like, it looks so incredible. Yeah, it really does look like it's going to be a delight, and I, I'm very excited to to get my hands on it. I would say the, the only, uh, I think, underwhelming part of this direct was that they also debuted a new OLED Switch uh, SKU. That's going to be coming out October 6th for 350 bucks. Uh, and that is, uh, it's red. It's red one. <laughs> it's red. Mario it, red, they it say. It looks nice. It looks nice. But like, man, I mean, we're, we're getting like our first tangible rumors of a Switch 2 dev kit being out in the wild now. It's like, I, I don't know if I can get excited about a, a, an OLED Switch again, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, at least make it, at least... I don't know if you're going to celebrate Mario on your, in your new form factor, you could like make it look cool, right? You could <laughs> actually do something other than just make it red. I feel like emblazon it with a cool, cool Mario iconography, you know, like put, just do something. I don't know. It's At least they put some coins on the inside where you'll never see them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. That was a fun little thing. has yeah. a little silhouette of Mario, which is yeah. like, you know cool i guess <laughs> i don't know anyway it's all it's it's a minor quibble of what was otherwise a uh pretty impressive direct just fo fe uh, focusing on all these features uh for mario wonder but very exciting uh october 20th uh i believe uh checks notes uh same day as spider-man 2 so uh, uh 
also red, you know, like Ugh, right? Like <laughs> yeah. Spider Man also Sony, yeah. at least Sony released their red console with a little bit of black ooze on it for their special edition. <laughs> yeah. You know, step it up, Nintendo. Exactly. <laughs> uh Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Well, do you both remember when Xbox raised prices of Game Pass and they kind of got rid of live or gold or whatever it was, and we were like, man. The raising of these prices, this stinks. This doesn't feel good. I guess it's inevitable. Netflix is doing it. Everybody's doing it. But this doesn't feel good. But at least it's not a lot. You know, remember when we took solace in the fact that this first round of price raises wasn't a lot. And- inching up. It was just inching up. I mean, a mere annoyance, but uh, worrisome about things to come. I mean, yeah. potentially, who knows, right? At this point, who? Kn- I mean, I've never seen, you know, like when a world record gets broken and it's just by like, a nose, you know, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's the fastest time in the world, but just barely. And then Tenths like of a second. Yes. Usain Bolt comes out and is like, hold my beer. I'm going to shatter the world record. And everybody's <laughs> like, you celebrate that. Well, Sony just Usain Bolted. <laughs> price increases. <laughs> price increases. <laughs> um, the Usain Bolt of price increases, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's like, yeah, wait, why are we cheering? This feels bad. <laughs> so to give you the news, the PlayStation Plus across the board is receiving a, a price increase. PlayStation Plus Essentials at its the bare minimum uh, tier of PlayStation Plus is required for multiplayer gaming on Sony consoles. And they are raising that price from $60 to $80 annually that's that's 20 bucks or someone can do the math like a a fourth a third more a lot more like a good percentage more of that original price extra which gets you some of those other games goes from 100 to 135 and premium which gives you all the games and streaming and um classics as well goes from 120 to 160 dollars and depending on when you are listening to this dear listener that change has gone into effect. It's happened September 6th, so not yet as of this recording, but very soon those prices are going to go up. And the reaction that I kind of saw around the internet when this was announced, and I'm curious to get your your takes on it, uh, gentlemen, but the reaction was kind of this, this doesn't feel good, but yeah. we knew it was coming. And it's like this resigned, like, crap. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, PlayStation Plus started in June. June. <laughs> it started in June. Well, plus, this new tiered system. Yeah, the like, plus essential. PlayStation Plus was No, but I know, but like all these tiers that, yeah. that we have now <laughs> that they're increasing the price in. It started <laughs> in June. This is Usain Bolt. This is some fast <laughs> changing, man. It's like we announced it one month later. Yeah, it's going to have to re- – it's really going to have to go up in price a lot. We we launched it at a – that was just dumb. <laughs> I don't know. Brandon, what do you think? Is this is – this, I mean, obviously no one likes money you know, the prices to go up. Nobody's going to be like, hey, this is a great idea. But- Brandon's like, you know what? I do actually. I've been saying <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, I actually I, I set up a second uh, <laughs> PSN account so I could, so I could have two yeah. premium plans. Smart. Um, yeah, smart. No, I, honestly, I saw this news. I thought that it was a typo the first time I, I read it because I was like, there's no way they're increasing prices that much. That doesn't make any sense. It's too quick. Uh, Usain Bolt adjacent and uh, ended up 
immediately dropping down from the premium tier to the essential <laughs> oh, tier. No. Like, like within oh, seconds no. of reading the story, I was like, absolutely not, man. You're, you're, this is <laughs> this doesn't work for me. Because here's the thing, and and maybe I think uh, you two are are some of the only people I could talk to in my in my like social circle who will I think understand this. But I think the highest tier of of this of this uh, pricing structure, the, the premium tier that comes with all of the uh, PlayStation Plus games, the collection, the uh, backlog of PS1, PS2, PS3 stuff, all of that is like a pretty decent deal. If you're somebody who is coming into the PlayStation ecosystem, maybe for the first time ever with the PS5, and you get that premium tier, you will have access to one of the greatest libraries of, of video games, I think that that exists just period i think it's an amazing it's an amazing group of games but for people like the three of us who do this like podcast thing all the time and are playing games all the time we've played a lot of this stuff already yeah. you know so for me i think you know as soon as they announced this i jumped into the premium tier i was like let me try this out i tried streaming some of the ps3 stuff i went back played some ps1 ps2 stuff it was cool to have for a little bit um but uh, eventually the the kind of uh, the the luster of PlayStation Plus Premium kind of wore off for me, and I think specifically, it comes down to the value proposition of what of what PlayStation Plus is going for, right? Because they've been very explicit. Jim Ryan has been very explicit uh-huh, publicly saying uh-huh. we are not going to release any new PlayStation Studios games on this day and date. That is not the kind of thing that we can do financially. It doesn't make sense for us. What you're getting is what you're getting. You know what you're paying for when you sign up for it. Every once in a while, we'll add some games. I saw they just added the most recent Saints Row. Uh, you know, they're adding some stuff here and there, a smattering of games. But for the most part, you're getting what you're getting. And it's a great collection. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I've played most of those games already. So yeah. I've now bumped myself down to the bottom tier. Am I happy to be paying almost $100 a, a, a year to be just, like, able to access playstation online like the playstation network and like play games with my friends not really kind of you know raises questions about okay why would you not just go play on pc then where you don't have to pay a hundred dollars to do that uh but for now i'm on the essential tier uh i've dropped down from premium uh this this price hike was not well received by my brain or my heart (laughs) yeah it's pretty baffling i i don't i feel like if you announce a new system like this you got to stick with it for at least a year before you raise the price dramatically <laughs> yeah. you know it I seems agree. just so wild to me anyway christian what was your reaction to all of this i mean i, I get it everything is more expensive i i understand that i i i fundamentally understand it when i was a kid a movie was three dollars now it's 23 whatever i understand that prices go up but you're right jeff that when these tiered plans were announced this feels very quick but I think for me, one of the biggest, you know, punches in the gut with this is this happening in September going into Call of Duty season. Mm. And Call of Duty is huge on PlayStation, as we learned via poorly redacted court documents. We learned just <laughs> Guaranteed how to have it for 10 years. That's those prices. <laughs> I mean, it feels that way. <laughs> you know, these players, like our players depend on PlayStation for Call of Duty. This is their home. They, they rely on it. They, we're associated with it. And we are going to milk this stone <laughs> for whatever we can. We're going to squeeze yeah. And squeeze and somebody squeeze. turned to somebody and went, you know, 
based on these court filings, we may not have this forever. Oh, we better raise <laughs> them prices up. Yeah, yeah and th- that's where it doesn't feel <laughs> good. And then in comparison to Xbox, which again, you you need to pay to play online on Xbox as well, whatever it's called now, Game Pass Core or something like that. But in Nintendo as well, you have to pay to uh, play online. All this Mario Wonder stuff will require the Nintendo uh, online subscription. And But when they start offering that equal level of thing and you look at the price to just play online, it, it starts to feel worse and worse and worse when they start to get more and more and more expensive. It's kind of like the idea of the streaming services for movies and TV shows when it was like for only – $8 a month, you can watch everything we've ever made. And you're like, this is incredible. And now they're like, for $25 a month, you can watch some stuff. <laughs> and everybody's like, that feels less good. <laughs> and it's like, yep, but that's the way the world works. And it, it this does not feel good. I don't think that they're going to see a huge subscriber decrease because of it right now. But I do think everybody is dancing on that knife's edge jeff about like how high can we raise these things and yeah. i'm curious your thoughts like you know what where's the cliff when do, when do all of us lemmings you know run over the edge of these prices <laughs> i think that's the shocking part is in and this is how you you know originally uh, introduced the story is that you expect these things to be small incremental raises that you kind of don't you can just swallow as they go you know like netflix has done it's like oh, we're raising it a dollar across we're two dollars across all the things uh, this was both very fast from the time when this service really, you know, came into being two months ago and also very big chunks of increase. You know, it's like, it's a huge leap. Uh, you know, like you said, a third of the price from 60 to 80. That's, that is 30, 33%. That's nuts. That's nuts. Um, I, I just, uh, I I'm I do think this is testing the market and seeing what's the upper boundary that people are going to pay for this stuff. And I'm curious, you know, I I, I don't want to think the nefarious thought of like we introduced it and got people to pay the thing and it'll just auto renew and people won't even really think about it and it'll auto renew at the higher rate. And there you go. I will say if you are listening and you are one of these people who have a PlayStation Plus auto renewal uh subscription the price won't increase until the uh, price effect uh, won't take effect until november 6th so you have until november 6th to kind of sort this out and decide if you're already a subscriber if you're a new subscriber you get the new rate now but uh if you're an old subscriber the renewal date uh if it's on or after november 6th then that's that's when it hits you so I don't know. Not, Again, still good. in time for Call of Duty. You know, like that's that's, yeah, that's, that's the thing where it's like, no, no, that's no, you true. got a grace period right before that big game you want to play. Yeah, the bummer. I've seen some speculation that there might be some kind of like second shoe dropping in terms of maybe a, a PlayStation uh, announcement or some kind of PlayStation event towards the end of the year where they will add some stuff to PlayStation Plus that will kind <clears> of like sweeten the pot a little bit and make make these prices feel a little bit better, but. It feels weird to do it in this order if yeah. that's going to be the situation. Yes, yeah, seems like uh, seems like you want to make that announcement when you announce the price yeah. increase. But yeah, um, all right. Well, uh, thank goodness for the Super Mario Wonder Direct because 
Most of the other <laughs> big news this week were massive bummers. Yeah, uh, man. Uh, the big price increase. Uh, my story of the week also a big bummer, but I wanted to acknowledge that Volition, a a developer that has been around for thirty years. I mean, this was a, a developer started in the nineties. Has been owned by a lot of different companies. Uh, you probably know Volition as the developer responsible for Saints Row. I loved them because they made Red Faction back in the day. Red Faction Guerrilla, still one of my favorite uh, favorite open world games of all time. Like, I just had a blast with that game. Um, they're no more. Uh, Embracer Group, the massive conglomerate that has been gobbling up uh, developers right and left in these big deals, uh, has decided that they are, well, evidently there is some big investment they did not get. I don't know the details of it, but evidently the, uh, the idea here is they had billions of dollars coming in that are not coming in anymore. And so they've ha- made uh, the decision to start weaning out, uh, to, to reducing costs. And one of their cost reduction strategies was to shutter Volition. It was uh, the Saudi-funded is what kind of has come out that they were um, savvy games was the mystery yeah. partner embracer announced a two that they announced that, Hey, this $2 billion deal fell through. And then reporting since then it came out that um, that's where the money was coming from. Uh, and that, that stinks on a whole bunch of reasons. Sorry to, to cut in Jeff, no, but it's just ahead, frustrating please. where if, you know, embracer group was making these purchases planning on being able to get by long enough until they got a $2 billion cash infusion to then keep them going. Seems like poor planning of, you know, we need this to survive. Uh, And it just seems frustrating that these groups that other, these groups, sorry, these developers that maybe would have been purchased by other publishers or other groups that were looking at, you know, some of these, IPs and games that were put up for sale before were acquired and now dissolved and didn't really have an opportunity to possibly thrive somewhere else. So it feels like, you know, a, a punch in the gut. And then when you fall over, they also kick kick you in the head. <laughs> um, yeah. It's real unfortunate. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, super bad news. Obviously a lot of folks um, losing their livelihoods because of this, um, there's shutting down of volition and uh, the, the IPs have all been sold off. Um, uh, so, you know, this, it doesn't necessarily mean the end of these franchises that we've come to associate with volition, but it does mean that this, you know, very, uh, long lived developer, uh, does not exist anymore. I, Brendan, do you have a reaction to seeing volition? Yeah, no I mean, it's so disheartening, you know, I, I, I just think the the general vibe of media consolidation in the games industry just continues to rear its ugly head over and over again. You know, I, th- I think Embracer just kind of coming out of nowhere, gobbling up as many studios as possible and then essentially just rolling the dice on potential deals with yeah. so many people's livelihoods is like. Real supervillain stuff, you mm-hmm. know, like straight up like Ridley Scott supervillain stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just I, my heart goes out to all these people. It's such a huge bummer. And, and it's such a it's such a disrespectful way of handling a, a developer like Volition. Um, mm-hmm. I I'm like seething 
and I think if I keep going, I'm going to say some stuff. <laughs> so, <laughs> Fair yeah, enough. I, I, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty upset about it. I'll say that much. It's upsetting. It's upsetting. Um, Volition was was formed in 1993, so exactly 30 years. Um, it's a casualty of this kind of weird economic aggression that you're seeing from all these these big, you know, these these places like uh, Embracer that are just gobbling places up without any strategy, it seems. So if any folks that lost their jobs because of this are listening, we certainly uh, send you our good wishes and support um, and wish you the best for uh, finding new jobs. It's a, it probably, it's a massive bummer. It won't help you uh, going forward, but thank you for the greatness for the past 30 years. I know on this show for the 10 that we've been doing this show, Jeff, we have really celebrated a lot of those games and had a lot of fun with them. And I think the industry as a whole owes a lot to them. I mean, you mentioned Red Faction and the terrain destruction that that game brought to the forefront in a really big way in a big budget game. And the things that Saints Row yeah. did, uh, just speaking for me, I think really pushed GTA Online into being what it is and embracing some of the user-made wackiness and the fun that can be had in the hijinks of a heist and and really brought that to the forefront in a way that games weren't doing a lot of the other gta likes of the day were trying to copy the very serious tone of what gta did and um volition went a very different direction with it and it just yeah it never feels good it never feels good when this happens but thank you for the great games along the way and hopefully um everybody lands on their feet seriously uh, before we move out of the story of the week segment, Christian, I'm curious uh, if you have one more. To Jeff, say, come on, is it sad too? What do we do? No, this one. Might, well, who knows? It remains to be seen if it's sad. But uh, I'm curious what you think. You are much more of a handheld gamer than I, even though I do enjoy my Steam Deck. Uh, but we got a new Steam Deck competitor entering the scene this week. Lenovo announced a uh, a new handheld uh, uh, skew, a new peripheral, um, or not peripheral, a new. Uh, uh, system it's called legion go and it's got some really interesting features um this is a direct steam deck competitor direct um rog ally competitor in fact it's much more like the rog ally than steam deck because it runs windows 11 like rog does uh looks like it's kind of got got some good specs to it most interesting from my perspective is that it's got uh, switch-like detachable Joy-Cons, although can't call them Joy-Cons, but they have these uh, the the edges of the handheld, just like the Switch, slide off, and you can have uh, joysticks in each hand. I don't think it doesn't. They don't seem to have the kind of motion control stuff that the Switch has. In does it come know. in red or what am I? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, if they want to sell like gangbusters, it better. <laughs> um, but weirdly, even weirder than that, you can stick one of the, the, the right controller, evidently you can stick onto this base thing and it works like a, like, like upright. So if you imagine, if you imagine a joy con and it's kind of this flat, uh, what, how would you like a wafer? I don't know, like a, uh, you know, a flat plane. If you tilt that plane that plane 90 degrees and stick it on its end on the ground it works like a joystick and they call that first person shooter mode so that you can like rotate it 
uh, like you would an old school flight stick or something in and create like a uh, I don't even I, the weird thing to me about this is that mm-hmm. are there those peripherals that people use for FPSs Mm-mm. that aren't handheld like is it mimicking an established thing that people already enjoy using because I've never seen that you guys know yeah. no it feels I would call it like arcade stick mode, right? Like first yeah. person shooter mode feels feels weird. It's yeah, kind of rad. Looking at but... a video of this right now, it is fascinating. <laughs> weird, right? It's so weird. It almost turns it. It looks like it turns it more into a mouse than into a joystick, which is bizarre. Yeah, this is so weird. I, which, I, the I, mouse I, makes a stronger case for first person shooter. Yes, and, and like that, you know, presentation. Um, like a finer control than what an analog nub or even the touchpad, which this has much like the Steam Deck. But it still feels overly complicated in a way that... Well, it feels like the reason they would do it is because people like this. You know what I mean? It feels like we we figured out a way to put this in our handheld in a, instead of what I think it is, which is we figured out a brand new way to do something <laughs> that no one's ever tried before. I don't know. Maybe I'm just ignorant to the fact that this has been around, but I've never seen anything quite like it. Not me either. Yeah, this, this is a really interesting device. I mean, you know, I, I love the rise of these handheld PCs uh, that, that have come up in the wake of the Steam Deck. Um, I, I kind of collect handhelds, definitely not handheld PCs, but, you know, like more, more dedicated retro handhelds, Android handhelds, things like that. Um, I have a Steam Deck and I love it and I think it's fantastic. I play it constantly. Uh, but every once in a while, I look over at the ROG ally and I'm like, man, you sure can play Starfield, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and same deal with, with this thing. Like, hey, if you're running Windows, I can get Starfield on that thing. Uh, I will tell you, though, Brendan, that the ROG ally. Rog ally, I think, feels very encumbered when it pl- tries to play Starfield. I don't know. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, according to Bethesda, it don't does not play, play Starfield. Starfield on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I guess, I guess the Windows 11 of it. I do. I keep waiting around. I keep thinking it's going to happen, and I keep waiting around for there to be. A way, uh, you know, a handshake agreement between Valve and Microsoft to like get uh, Game Pass on the Steam Deck. Like, I keep thinking that's going to happen, and it keeps not happening. Mm-hmm, so, yeah. in that sense, I'm with you. Like, I would love to have my Game Pass PC stuff on a handheld. That'd be rad. But other I mean, that than hand, that, that, that like, handshake right now is GeForce Now or XCloud, right? Mm, like, that's yeah. yeah, that's that handshake. I do and use this, XCloud a lot on my Steam Deck, and it's yeah. spectacular. This this ad um, for the Legion Go definitely had a lot of Xbox in it. Like they were definitely, you know, marketing that aspect of it. There was a lot of Xbox, Xbox games as kind of the the pitch here. Um, it's what seven hundred dollars? Is that right? I'm done with the They say it starts at seven hundred. We don't know okay. if there's going to be yeah. multiple SKUs. We don't know how how that's all going to. It's starting at seven hundred dollars in November. We don't know exactly what the pricing structure is going to be like yet. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, battery and then and then specs. And then what I keep waiting for is more than a handshake. I I would love to see Microsoft enter the space in a way that allows them to and I know they won't, but like have that dedicated interface. I think what makes the Steam Deck so magnificent is how 
incredible of a job Valve did integrating Steam into this thing and having yeah. things just work. Again, asterisks, yes, or exceptions, blah, blah, blah. There are always exceptions, but it just works and it looks good and it's slick. And they also didn't lock it down. You can go in and tinker away. You know, they don't make it easy per se. You have to load desktop mode and, and you know, purposefully go in to make these changes. But the device the they give you is so incredibly slick. It does what it sets out to do so incredibly well. And, you know, ROG Ally and this um, new handheld as well, the, the Legion, I think that is the problem of Windows 11 is that I don't know if it will ever be that. And ROG's already um, sent out multiple updates for their kind of home you know, wrapper user face that's supposed to make jumping in and out of these things easier. But then there's just all of the Windows 11-ness of things of like controller detected or how you set up headphones yeah. or I just don't know if they'll ever be as elegant as a Steam Deck. And I don't know how big the market is for an unelegant handheld gaming device. Also, it feels like the way to get into this market and as a third party that isn't valve is to come in and, and undercut on price. And that's what nobody's yeah. doing. You know, I, I understand yeah. these are very expensive things to build, but um, I mean, nobody's but doing it, that. If you're trying to back me into a corner and ask if I pre-ordered a PlayStation portal, then yes, Jeff, I did. So I hope you're happy. Did you really, you, if you were trying to force that oh, out Christian. of me, did you really, do I have a problem? Yes. Does my wife listen to this podcast? No. So I don't know why you two are so smaller upset with problem. me right now. Smaller problem is what you have. You have a minor problem. Um, I can't wait to hear about it legitimately. Me either. I, I'm so excited. That's going to – oh, man. Text me. I, I have no room to talk with my uh, VR headset. This is a safe space. Even with our listeners, this is a safe space. We all know what we're getting into when we sign Love up to, to do one of these shows or listen to it. You know, it's uh, – and now if Sony wants to send me a uh, review hardware, will I still keep my pre-order? Probably. Yeah, because I have a problem. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, all right. Well, let's get it. We, we've been putting out, we've been burying the lead uh, too much. Let's get into uh, talking a little bit about Starfield in a segment we call The Playlist. Ooh, That's right, ladies and gentlemen, Starfield has hit uh, for people in the, certain cases. <laughs> uh, there, uh, You can get it if you want it. Right now, you can get it. Or you can wait till you already have it on Game Pass in just a little while. Uh, I got a review copy. I think, Brendan, you got a review copy. Christian, did you get a review copy? I got it because I wanted it. Okay. I hate myself for it. But I got it because I wanted it. I, okay. I ponied up my 30 bucks or whatever to unlock early via Game Pass. So so Brendan and I have had it a, a little longer than Christian has. Uh, I'm about 40 hours in, um, which feels like scratching the surface, personally. Um, I don't, how long have you been playing, Brendan? I am also just about 40 hours in. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Christian, where, where, what do you like at this point? My The Xbox tells me 12. Okay. Nice. I haven't left my home planet, though, so. Uh. <laughs> Smart. Good. Just stay there. Uh, just stay in that little mining community. Yeah. Who knows? They keep yelling at me to get in the, 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 get in the spaceship. Blast and like, the I got, rock! 
Blast it's just rock. one rock. How hard could it be to find? <laughs> oh, the whole planet's made of rock. Oh. <laughs> um, so obviously this is a massive, massive, massive game. We can put hundreds of hours into, and we are where we are. But uh, I, I have definitely a lot of things to say about it. But Brendan, I'll let you start. Sure. What, how, first let's start here. What is your history with Bethesda role-playing games? Wow. Are, you, are you a fan? Were you in, anticipating Starfield? Were you excited about it? What, what's that? Situation? I'm so glad you asked, Jeff. That's where I wanted to start. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I am a big Bethesda fan. I would say the, the reason I do this, this thing that we're doing right now, is because of the Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion. Wow, uh, yeah. That, that game really spoke to me in a way that I think reframed the way I think about video games. It is like my muse. It is the it is one of the most immersive and interesting games I've ever played. It is one of the funniest games, both intentionally and unintentionally, I've ever played. I just think that that game has just so many interesting facets to it. I could talk about that game forever. But I, I will say, uh, I've mentioned on the show a couple of times that uh, it's one of only two games on the original Xbox 360 that I have a perfect gamer score for. Oh, so yeah. So I played that game a lot. Yeah. Oh, I feel you. I'm right there with you, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that game really spoke to me. And ever since then, been a huge Bethesda fan. Um, I, I obviously love Skyrim. I think I think Skyrim is going to be a constant touch point for this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but Fallout, weirdly, is a, is a series that I could never get as into. I always love the Bethesda. I love the Bethesda style open world. I think that they're... That they're take on the open world for a long time for for years and years and years was definitive you know and we've seen so many other developers kind of look at what bethesda did and look at how successful they were with games like skyrim and try and adapt that elsewhere and i usually like that wherever it's applied especially when bethesda is the one doing it but fallout the the space that you occupy there you know the the actual apocalyptic wasteland i just actually found too bleak to be fun at a certain point yeah uh fallout 3 you know kind of had the uh, the the early or late 2000s, early 2010s kind of like greenish filter over everything, which I can never really get into. I think they had some great writing in that game. There's a lot to love in Fallout 3, but it didn't hook me the way the Elder Scrolls did. And Fallout 4, a little bit more. It was a little bit more colorful, had a little bit better, you know, gunplay. They kind of worked up or fixed a lot of problems, um, but still the narrative didn't really land for me and I think didn't land for a lot of people, uh, unfortunately. And Fallout 76 was what it was. Um, unfortunately, as well. So I think Bethesda was in a really weird spot going into Starfield because we've been hearing about Starfield for, I want to say, about 10 years, maybe even more. Todd Howard's been talking pretty openly about wanting to create a third pillar, you know, yeah. Elder Scrolls, Fallout, this thing. Uh, and and Starfield for me was, I, I think, kind of the dream idea because I also am a huge fan of Star Trek, the next generation specifically. That series is just everything I love about sci-fi. It is so hopeful. It is so interested in solving problems in interesting ways. It is so interested in what we as as a collective of beings can do when we put our minds to something and overcome problems like, you know, capitalism and money and and eliminating poverty and and enabling everyone to eat food. It's like, okay, cool. We've done all that. Now let's move out to the stars. And the idea of the the team that made oblivion tackling ideas like that is the dream for me so starfield has been hotly anticipated on my end for 
a decade ever since I first caught wind of it. So beautifully said. Uh, I, I love it. I mean, um, I'm so curious then what your experience has been uh, finally getting it into your hands. Yeah, I, I it's interesting because I've seen this echoed and I'm curious to get your take about it as well. And yours, Christian, uh, I've, I've seen this take echoed around the game starts. I'm stoked. I open the game uh, and and without saying too much about the way the game opens. But, you know, you're you're in a mine and you have a little mining laser and you got to carve out a rock and uh, you carve out this rock. And you have to leave this cave. And when you leave the cave, they do the thing that they always do in Bethesda games, right? In Fallout, you leave the vault for the first time. The music swells, and now you're in the open world. You just had this incredible narrative opening, and now you're in the open world. You can do whatever you want. Elder Scrolls, Oblivion, Patrick Stewart is the emperor, and he helps you escape from prison. Super weird, super fun. You leave the prison, open world. Skyrim, dragon attack, you know the deal. It's a meme at this point. Starfield tries to do a similar thing. The music swells, you leave this cave, and what you're met with is just this kind of like dusty space rock. Like it's not it's not all that exciting. You know, that when when the music swelled up, I was like, "Oh, here it is. I'm right back in it." And it was a little bit underwhelming. And for the next couple hours as they were starting to teach me the systems of this game of which there are so many. Yeah. Uh, you know, Wait, which quick pause. Of course there quick pause. Yeah. Say it again. So many. So I don't many. I don't want to gloss over. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Yes, so many. <laughs> uh, of which there are so many. I'll even Thank say you. it a, a fourth time. Uh, I I started to have this sense that like this game isn't clicking with me. I got to New Atlantis. You know, this this is this big, beautiful, almost Starfleet Academy looking city. Uh, I I was making my way through it. It was very like Epcot looking. I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. It's a little bit sterile, and I started to have this feeling that like, oh man. You know, you're looking around at some of the NPCs moving around. I'm like, you know, I played cyberpunk. Cyberpunk is dense. Cyberpunk is like, there's a lot going on here. This place feels real. This place feels lived in. This game feels a little bit Bethesda-y. And then I was thinking about the RPG elements and I was starting to experience those. And I was like, I just played a lot of Baldur's Gate 3. And that is like maybe the peak of what RPGs can do. And I started to have this feeling that like, am I not going to click with this game? What a What a devastating feeling that would be. And then I started playing the story. I, I just stuck to the main quest, which is the thing I've never done in a Bethesda game, to be clear. I just stuck to the main quest and I kept going and I kept going at it. And at a certain point, I realized not only have I started to wrap my hands around the systems of the game, but I started to wrap my hands around what was possible because I think there, there are three phases you'll go through as you play Starfield. I think there's booting the game up and you say, what do, what do I want to do? You know, you've played a Bethesda game before, but this one's in space. What do I want to do? And then there's the initial, oh, I, I can't do all the things I want to do. Okay, what can I do? And you learn what you can do. And then when you overcome that hurdle, you get back to the what you want to do phase. And guys, once I hit that, I have just been loving this game more and more and more and more with every subsequent hour I've put in. I've rolled credits on it twice at this point, um, which... Uh, don't want to get into why or how that is possible. Uh, but I, I have a strong feeling that if it, if it continues to hit the same beats that it's been hitting for me in terms of its like narrative highs, in terms of 
allowing me to uh, role play, I think, in a denser and deeper and more interesting way than I have been able to in some previous Bethesda games. You know, maybe not like Morrowind and stuff like that, but at least in some of the other ones, some of the more recent ones, I think Starfield does have a shot at being one of these really big tentpole things for Bethesda. I think not only have they bounced back from what a lot of people have been perceiving as like a little bit of a stumble for them, but I, I think that this game has a shot at being a really, really, really big deal. You know, maybe is it going to hit Skyrim? I don't know, but I would love to see this game get ported to every console for the next 20 years. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, first thing I want to say is uh, just to be explicit to the listeners, we are going to stay away from story spoilers as much as possible, or certainly yeah. big main campaign story, story spoilers. I want to bring up some specific moments that have happened to me. Um, but, but not in the, in the context of, uh, you know, a story, story spoiler. So we, we understand that most folks listening have not played this game yet, and we will be sensitive to that. We're going to talk about systems and our experience playing it. Uh, I think Brendan, you did a, such a great job, uh, setting it up. I, I agree with you on a number of levels. I mean, my first reaction to this, and Christian, you know this because I texted you, was like, it really is Skyrim in space. It really is. And we'll we'll dig into what that means exactly shortly. But I think at first, you know, it it is very much a Bethesda game. I, like you, Brendan, absolutely adore these games. Like, this this is why i play video games is the you know morrowind oblivion skyrim like fallout i love i mean i'm i agree with you also that fallout it just doesn't feel nice to be in that world because it's so grimy and grungy and depressing and all that stuff um but i still i mean i've played so much fallout 3 and 4 it's it's insane um and so i love i love the way those games work the exploration of it the fact that my curiosity is always rewarded in a Bethesda game the fact that you know you are constantly interacting with all these wonderful short stories that always seem to be so satisfying and have delightful little twists and turns as they go and the fact that you can really engage with this world in a variety of ways and I think what you were touching on is really what comes into stark focused the more you play Starfield you can it, it is a canvas upon which you can express yourself in a variety of ways just an absurd number of ways there are these grand quests there are these huge factions you can ally with there are these big i think pretty darn well written stories short stories little quest chains big grand stories all of the stuff you would expect from a big role-playing video game. But also, there is enough there that you can spend your time just existing. You can become a smuggler and just be a smuggler. You can uh, you can just explore places and decide to set up outposts and become a mining conglomerate where you just have these mining outposts across multiple planets, across multiple solar systems. You can... The game, you could just be a person that hunts down and finds rare books. And there's, you can, there's a lady that wants to buy your rare books. And you could just be the rare book person that finds them and goes, you can be an outlaw. You can be a lawman. You can be 
there is so many ways to just, you can just go around the world and do good deeds. You can, you can just find, I mean, I, the way I experience Bethesda games and the thing that I love most about them is that I will be doing something and then I will just be curious about what's over there. And I will go over there and almost invariably there will be something cool over there. And I think that was my biggest fear with Starfield is that because of its scale and because of its subject matter, because most planets are empty, I was worried that there wasn't going to be a lot of that. Or if there was a lot of that, it was mostly going to be empty and unsatisfying. And I will tell you my experience. I'm curious if you guys have had this as well. So many times I'll have to go to a planet for a thing I want to do, for a quest, for this, and I will just turn my scanner over there and I will see some point of interest pop up on my HUD and I'll go, I kind of want to walk over there and see what that is. And so I'll do it. And most of the time I'm not walking. Most of the time I'm jetpacking because jetpacking's rad. And when I get there, Yes, sometimes it's just an abandoned mining settlement, but usually there's bad guys and I'll get into a firefight and have a hour long sojourn into this event that it isn't part of anything, but I'm just having a good time and there's enough doodads and things to find there that'll help me that I'll put into my pack and check out and, you know, that I want that it makes it worthwhile and it's fun and I'm doing it. Okay, I've talked a lot. Christian, I want to hear your feelings. We haven't even talked about some of the systems. I want to get into all of that. But overall, generally, my sense, Christian, is that you aren't as in love with Bethesda games historically. I know we've talked many times on the show about your uh, your aversion to the, oh my gosh, your son is missing. But in the meantime, help countless other people and build an outpost <laughs> uh, style things. This game, at least... The setup is, hey, you're an explorer, right? Mm-hmm. Does it so alleviate wanna, that for you at least? Yeah, I want to co-sign a lot of what you both already said. And I also want to say uh, at the start here that this is far and away, so far, 12 hours in, my favorite Bethesda game I've ever played. And I think oh, yeah. a big part of it is the setup. The setup feels believable to the world they've created in terms of space and exploration and then this idea of wanting to continue to explore and to help people or not you don't have to be helpful but it is this quest that unfolds in a way that feels real and lived in for me um as a type of gamer i am and you're yeah you're not presented with that choice at the beginning of the world is going to end unless you go take down this thing. But P.S. Go open a little sushi shop, baby. You know, like that that push and pull of the narrative construct and the options given to me in the game always felt disconnected to me. And for the opening of Starfield and for through my 12 hours with it, I have not felt that um, narrative disconnect. I am very much enjoying this game. 
So I want to say all that at the outset because I know sometimes we're like, oh, Christian's so negative. He spent 10 minutes talking about how the whip in Uncharted 4 wasn't as satisfying as he wanted it to be. I thought he loved this game. I do. I love Uncharted 4. I want to say I very much enjoy Starfield. I do think that this game is not going to be for everyone, though. And I think it's not going to be for every Bethesda fan. And I think it's not going to be for every role-playing fan. I think this game has a whole host of ease of use problems. It, it, it doesn't seem to do the best job taking the player's time into consideration and how it presents itself. And there are games like Tears of the Kingdom or Breath of the Wild where it also doesn't tell you stuff, but that exploration of mechanics is part of the theme of the game or a souls like or elden ring where that is part of that world and i don't think that the same issues that i see in starfield are part of the core the game's core central thesis a minor example that perhaps maybe i just missed but you're never really shown or told how to hot swap weapons it's just not presented in a way that is accessible and easy and is something that you will be doing a lot of. The menus are dense. The systems are complex. And the way it presents them to the player feels almost as a second thought, if any thought puts put into it at all, where, you know, Jeff, I'm curious to get your take because you talk about with Tears of the Kingdom how tedious it is to go into the menu system and to craft and to do something like that and i feel like starfield demands so much of the player in that way and again in a way that i don't think reinforces the game's central thesis or idea and i think the biggest part of that in my opinion is the lack of local area maps i I don't think it's necessarily rewarding i'm sorry absolutely unforgivable omission it's it's a baffling choice it's it's baffling and i I don't understand how you ship this game without a local map of any kind because i tried just to explain what we're talking about you know obviously you're dealing with um orders of magnitude of scale in a game like starfield if you're talking about a game that takes place across an entire universe of galaxies and starting and solar systems you you know you can in in the menu system, you can start on your planet and you can zoom out to your solar system and moons of those planets and farther and farther and farther. And you can, you know, hyper jump your starship between these different systems. All of that stuff, I think, is laid out pretty well. You understand if you go to a planet, if you're looking at a planet, you can scan it and look at its resources, etc. You can get you can look at various points of interest on that planet. You can land on certain points of interest on that planet. But when you are in a major city or even the surface of any planet, when you are on the most micro of the layers of scale here that you're going to be in. And you're looking you, for, say, a shop. If you're looking for, like, <laughs> buy ammo. Anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you want to just – you or or you just want to walk down the street and know how to get from left to right. Or you have a a a – you know, a goal to go to in some place and you need to get from here to there and you open up that same map. It is literally nothing. It is a, <laughs> it is a blue mass of nothing 
that and shows not fog you of warable, like not, yes. Oh, I walk through this town and now the blue nothing is my at least Jedi fallen order map. You know, there gives is, me like, I'm, yeah. I'm dying for Jedi fallen order at this point. <laughs> yeah. There's a vague, <laughs> there's a vague indication that it's over that away, but there's no literally no, zero information. I, I thought I was doing something wrong. I thought, oh, I'm in the wrong menu to look at. There's a diff, there's gotta be a different map or do I need to acquire a map for this city? Because Dude, clearly this is- I went to the bookstore so many times at that first city <laughs> thinking exactly, I'm like, at first I was like, I, it was literally, what is it? Seven stages of grief. I was like, this is terrible. This is obnoxious. Oh, this is brilliant. I'm going to go to the bookstore. No, this is crap again. There's no book. <laughs> anyway, so you're absolutely right in that. In that, I think I think the hot swapping weapons is 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 perhaps a less intense. Uh, it, it is, but I think they're all. You just push a direction button, and it becomes pretty obvious. But you have to assign it. You have to favorite a weapon. Yeah. Then for, after it's favorited, assign it. And I then don't you think have any a, of that is hard to to grok. But I understand that the well, game doesn't well, explicitly tell you. But yeah, I think they're all symptoms of the same sickness. And I think part of it too is like, again, stuff you can figure out. And believe me, every website has their SEO to the Wazood guides for this game. They are feasting on on people hopefully playing this game, trying to get their ad revenues based off your clicks. So there are resources out there to try to figure this out. But, you know, I found myself fumfering through my cargo hold uh, on my ship and moving something to an inventory or as i mentioned at the beginning of the show like part of it is hard to find where you are when you land somewhere and i'm i'm encumbered and i have all this stuff but what do i do with this stuff i guess i'm going to just drop it in in my ship somewhere because i don't quite know what i need or what i don't need yet and it's stuff that i think bethesda has been so good at before with item management and resource management and outlining how to upgrade things and and what to take places to upgrade and you know, what is desirable among the sea of a million things you can pick up. And I think that there's parts of this game, maybe because of its scale, it is so big in so many ways that I think it loses the thread in some of those specifics that could make it more enjoyable for the player. And again, this will be the last time I say it. I think all of these things are problems because they don't reinforce the thesis of the game, which is exploration and creating this it's, uh, it's, character experience it's the omissions of things it's the omission of the local map i don't understand that it's the omission of why can't i just if i'm looking at an item that is consumable why can't i just consume it why do yeah. i have to oh man that gets me every time right yes why can't why do i have to put it into my inventory then open the menu go to the aid section of my inventory select on the sandwich i was just staring at that was sitting on a table and then click click eat why can't I just eat the thing I'm seeing on this? There's one other button. Just let me consume it without adding it to my inventory. I just, it, it, that makes no sense. And I, I think my memory tells me that you could do that in previous I was, was just about games. to say that. Yeah, exactly. That was the thing in Skyrim and I think in Oblivion as well. And then the last <laughs> thing I'll bring up along these lines before I, I'll keep some more praise on this game. Because again, favorite, I want to reiterate, favorite Bethesda game. I'm very much loving this game. I think it does so much right I think the way you traverse through the systems, you know, we talked vaguely about it, uh, or Dan, when we had Dan Trachtenberg on was, you know, we talked about this game hypothetically 
when No Man's Sky announced its latest expansion? And, and, you know, what are these two games in comparison to each other? And I think the way you navigate the stars and the star space in Starfield feels so menu driven in a way in which that now most of the time I do it via my mission list instead of zooming up into space and having this, you know, I've seen God experience that i think no man's sky can deliver in 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 ways that that's seamless transitions the seamless transitions yes and i think bethesda games have delivered when they were smaller in scale of you come out of the forest and oh my gosh look at this mountain range look at this change of scenery and create these jaw hits the floor exploration discovery moments and the space traversal in um starfield does not give me that i just opening up into the world map and after i've done it once there's not the wonder there so most of the time i go into my mission hit x i think it's x to set destination hit x again to do it then to launch then to grab jump then to land and it just feels like a missed opportunity in terms of embracing that uh see it all see the wonder of the world it's a double-edged sword because the, there's an alacrity that it that it engenders that is a welcome, in, in my opinion. Like at a certain point, like I like the fact that I can be standing on one planet, light years away from where I want to go to turn in a quest, and I can just press ba- basically a couple of buttons, and I'm standing on the other planet that I need to go to. Right? It doesn't make me go through all the Michigas if I've been to places before. I can literally yes. just. Yeah fast travel from one spot to another spot. I I appreciate that, but I completely agree that we have this other game that you referenced, No Man's Sky, that literally gives you that incredible transition from being parked on a planet to penetrating the atmosphere, going out into deep space, flying out. Like, that is magic. It feels like magic. That, I think, honestly, is the most compelling thing at the original launch of No Man's Sky that made that game just feel I- impossible. It's like... Totally agree. Yeah. And, and and there's just... It just... They didn't even attempt it here, right? It's... If you want to go from a being on a planet to being in space, you will get a loading screen. That's what happens. Yeah. Um, and that's a bummer, I think, because if we've you seen it already. Go into a cave on a planet, there'll be a loading screen. I'm I playing mean, on that's console, That's always been say. Bethesda, right? That's always yes, been how they I mean, do it. Yes, Yes, yes. Anyway, g- Brennan, your your nits. <laughs> um honest, honestly, you, you kind of hit a lot of them, but but the more I the more I think about that stuff, the more I think about this idea of like, man, it would be really nice to not be fast traveling everywhere. The more I think about yeah. what the alternative is, and I feel like then I'd be coming at you with the nits that are like, I really hate how long it takes to fly from, you know, Pluto to Neptune, right, you know, right. which I just saw a streamer did on stream because you can do it. Right. You you can, in this game, if you want to, seamlessly travel from the atmosphere of one planet to the atmosphere of another planet. The streamer flew from Neptune to Pluto and took seven hours. And, and that's it, the problem, right? Real is that time. What they're, what they're trying to, uh, you know, create realistically is something that just doesn't even apply to something like Skyrim, right? It's just yeah. not, it's, it's a apples to oranges. You can walk from one major city of, of Skyrim to another major city of Skyrim, and that's a ma- magical, cool experience, but... It's not traveling light years. (laughs) Literally, there's one speed in which it travels. I think that's a line where it's like, yeah, we can't. (laughs) This is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think one of the interesting things about this game that I've been thinking about a lot is specifically the legacy of Skyrim. That game comes out, is a huge hit immediately, changes the way I think a lot of people, not only players, but also developers, think about open world games. We've heard Ionuma talking about the development of Breath of the Wild, saying Skyrim was a huge inspiration on that uh-huh. game. You know, and then Breath of the Wild comes out and changes the game again. Um, but, you know, Skyrim just had this outsized impact. And there's a reason why that is the game that's getting ported to everything, still getting updates, still getting, yeah. you know, like you could pay $40 to upgrade to the legendary edition of Skyrim, et cetera, et cetera. That game and has it's staying money well power spent. for a reason. It's, you still feel like that was worth it. it for real <laughs> is. It for real is. Absolutely. Um, you know, still getting mods. You know, people are still like hitting that mod community hard. Really cool. And I keep thinking, like, you have to know that back at Bethesda, that team is thinking about the longevity of Starfield, not just this moment in which, you know, we're talking about it on this show. But like, what is this game going to look like in 10 years and 15 years and 20 years? It's going to have the same staying power as Skyrim. And when I start to think about this game long term and not just right now, Mm. I start to think about the fact that a lot of the nits I have, things like the item management and the menu system and the inability to see a local map, these are all things that are gripes for me at this exact moment but i don't know how you feel jeff because we're around the same point it sounds like playtime wise i've started to notice that those are things i'm a little bit more gracious about because i've started i started to come around the bend on them i've started to realize you know the 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 pros and cons of this game in terms of the ways in which i'm interacting with it and how to interact with it better i'm I'm kind of meeting the game where it's at now and, and, yes, and either I, that or it's stockholm syndrome that's also possible yeah <laughs> totally possible yes uh but point being I, I just feel like i'm I'm at this point now where the game feels natural to me yeah uh, the more the more i've played with it and and i feel like that will only increase as you know patches start to drop and eventually when they start adding dlc to this game when mod support is added yeah you know all of these things that bethesda is known for being so cooperative with the modding scene i actually saw a bunch of modders uh speak out and said that they were asked by bethesda to work on this game because of their previous mods and other games which i think is amazing like what other developers doing stuff like that so cool yeah uh, but I I just think that this game is going to be one that people will play for hundreds of hours. And when I talk about, you know, my nits and and how, you know, the first couple hours didn't really work for me, that's like 1% of what my total playtime is going to be in the long term. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, yeah, the the first impression was a little rough. That having been said, that first impression is going to be the one that sticks for a lot of people. And it's a real sticking point that I've seen online and well, a lot of reviews. Especially as a Game, as a Pass, game, game. Pass game. Yes, yes. Christian, you say my, same oh, thought. Yeah, yeah, great point. Where you can just great dip point. in and go, eh, not for me, bye, you know. It yeah. has like yeah. the big, this is the the big dog, right? Like this yeah. is a big dog tent pole game coming yeah, out. Phil Spencer's is... out here, I think, saying like, this is the new era of Game Pass. This is the, this is yeah. the first game in the new era of Game Pass, which is, you know, huge. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Brendan, that my, you know, the, the longer I play it, the less those things bother me. And I, and I genuinely don't know if it's Stockholm Syndrome or, you know, if it's that whole thing of like, you got to watch the whole first season. Second season's awesome. It's like, yeah, well, you spent 40 hours watching the show. So it's always, you're, yeah, you're not going to be bothered by the stuff that, we're, you know, whatever. Um but th- there are I have a, a few other nits that I just find completely baffling as far as major design decisions, you know, it, equivalent to there's no local map like there, I don't know how anyone goes. No one's going to mind that there's not a local map. Like it just 
there's got to be a, an explanation that is makes some sort of sense. But it's a it, little bit of a monkey's paw situation because I think everyone was really hoping when they said they were going to make this game that there would be like gigantic, vast, explorable cities. And like, yeah, we got them, but you have no idea where you are. When you're in them. <laughs> right, right, yeah. You got what you wanted. The city's um, so explorable. You've been in the same block for an hour. Good luck. <laughs> the other thing that I just don't understand the lack of, why can I not have outfits sets of outfits that I've decided that I can quickly hot swap into. You have this entire system in the game of all of these very detailed statistics that are on very disparate parts of your armor. You have a helmet, you have a suit, you have a inner sort of uh, underneath layer suit, and you have a backpack. And all of them have a lot of stats there's three or four different stats for just damage uh, mitigation and then there's also stats that involve this very detailed planetary uh, mm-hmm. environmental danger stuff you know well you see that in a lot of space games like it's too hot on the planet it's too cold on the planet it's ra- there's radiation on the planet there's poison atmosphere all these things right and if you're on a planet for too long in those environments without enough shielding, you're going to come down with a whole bunch of different status effects that have never been in a Bethesda game before, right? You can have lung damage. You can have, uh, you know, all these kinds of crazy things that will start to affect you in very potent ways. And there's all sorts of new aid items. There's all these, this is entire uh, new crafting system and stuff to make things that will get rid of all those status effects or prevent them or give you bonuses and buffs for them, all that stuff. So there's all these systems that rely on that. And yet I don't have this way. I have all of these different. You don't have your hot suit that you can just put on. Why? If I'm going to go to a hot planet, first of all, the game does a terrible job of communicating to me what, stats on my stuff do i need because i just set foot on this planet and sometimes it'll just be like bro you got lung damage and i'm like what what yeah your lungs don't work (laughs) but why what what caused that oh it's getting worse your lungs you're going to die you're you're coughing (laughs) it's terrible and i'm like "Ah, but what what was i supposed to do to prevent that i don't know but also even if i knew i would not spend 14 minutes uh, unequipping this item and equipping that item because it has better thermal that one okay that one also has better thermal oh that also has better thermal okay let's put on all the thermal stuff because i'm going to hot planet if you want to do that give me the ability to like pick out all my cool hot planet gear and put it on one button so i can be like hot planet gear radiation planet gear you know poison planet gear default like, what does the game think? Like, let me let me customize, but like the, you know, game min-max this for me. You know, The optimize if, button. Yeah, yeah. the well, optimize not, button. I Thank you. Listen, I don't need it to optimize. Part of the fun of Bethesda games, in my opinion, is the fiddledy bits. I mm. love checking out all the stuff. I like walking into a room and looking at the 1,400 little doodads that are laying around. I, I love that. That's mm. part of the fun for me is all the little bits and bobs that I want to check out and make sure, ooh, this room has a thing. I found a thing. Um, but but if you're going to have a system where I will literally die if I'm not wearing the right stuff, 
I need to know, A, what stuff to wear. And like, this one has 30 thermal. This one has 47 thermal. What does that mean? What does that, what, like, at what point of the thermal do I have to get to to survive on hot planet? You know what I mean? Like, I don't have any sense of that. I don't know what's the threshold to make this particular temperature survivable for me without. It doesn't help that these pieces of armor and, and, and these suits that you're talking about are also like the heaviest items you can yes. have. So if you have a bunch <laughs> yes. of them, not only are you incapable of carrying all of them because you'll be over encumbered, but you'll probably fill up your cargo hold in your ship super quickly if you just fill it with a bunch of different suits for different environmental hazards. Yeah. I mean, I, and you After get companions you in this how game. To put them in your cargo hold and not just dump them <laughs> in the I, little You get companions in this game uh, and it, it, like, like you did in Fallout 4 and you can swap out. You have one companion you can have. They are just a mule for me. They're just a hold all my crap, please. Uh, and also all of the stats that I first started this game, literally every, my first four, uh, uh, up, um, um, level, level upgrades ups, were yeah. all weightlifting because weightlifting lets you carry more stuff. I'm oh, like, yeah. I just need to carry more stuff. Anyway. That was smart. Yeah. So having said that about like, there's these massive bonehead, in my opinion, bonehead omissions in, and, and I think you're absolutely right, Brendan, that modders are going to fix all that stuff. Like modders are going to completely re- redesign the UI of this game. <laughs> but I also want to talk about how staggeringly awesome this game is because I love playing it. I love playing it. And I want to mention a couple of just incredible moments that just don't happen in other developers' games. For example, I just decided to check out i'm just flying around and i see a spaceport and i'm like oh what is that i'm curious i'm curious what's the spaceport there's no quest sending me there there's no i'm i'm in the middle of nowhere i'm on you know hanging out in in orbit of this planet that doesn't even have any quests on it so i decided to dock with this space station get out it is a zero G casino Whoa. that has been overtaken by spacers, by bad guys, by pirates, space pirates, basically. And so I have this zero G space battle with these pirates <laughs> inside a space station that's decked out like Las Vegas with glowing lights and all kinds of crazy stuff. And there's like, playing cards floating around in zero gravity and like chips for, you know, casino chips floating around and I'm shooting and I'm like, my bullets are making me fly backwards because I'm in zero G and they're I'm having this big firefight and I end up, you know, killing everybody there and exploring and I find a way to like unlock the vault at this, at this, uh, casino. like all of this just there. It was just there. It had nothing pointed me to it. There's no big story beat. It's just an environmental bit of storytelling. Like this, these spacers took over this zero G. It's incredible. I'll, I'll, I'll mention another one. I was hailed. <laughs> that one of the cool things is you'll just get hailed by people, uh, other ships. And it's these like little moments, these little things. These little, like, wanna, sometimes they'll just ask you for resources. Like, hey, we're stranded out here. 
I had a, like a, a, a gang of school children. Like we went on a field trip and we're stranded. We need our, we need to replace our grab drive. Do you have any iron? I was like, yeah, I'll give you some iron. <laughs> Didn't get me anything. I just did it because I was role playing in that world, a nice person. So I get hailed. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have experienced. I think there's like so much in this game. That's why I don't think these are spoilers. Like you could go a hundred yeah. hours and just not experience a couple of these things. I got hailed by this space spaceship and they're like, Hey, we're having a party. Do you want to come to our party? <laughs> and I was like, this sounds like a trap, but it's also fascinating. Yes. I'll come to your party. Awesome. Come dock with us. Okay. I dock with this space station. I get out and there's like seven people inside a spaceship with music playing, drinking wine, and having an awesome time. And they're all like, hey, thanks for coming to the party. And they're like, do you want to turn the, the gravity on or off? It could be super <laughs> fun if you turn the gravity off. And I was oh, like, so yeah, I'll, I'll turn the gravity off. And they're like, oh, awesome. He turned the gravity off. And there's like, you know, disco music playing in the background. There was nothing else to do there. It was just, they're just having a party. There's like, a disco ball and lights and people and every person I talked to, they're like, Oh, it's so awesome. You came to the party. It was just, it's just a thing. It's just a, like a little moment of joy <laughs> that happened in this world. Getting hailed is one of my favorite things in this game. One of, one of the first times I got hailed at random when I jumped into a planet's atmosphere was, I don't know if you experienced this, but it was uh, Faraday's Budget Tours. Did you <laughs> no, experience it? No. It was Faraday's Budget Tours. And somebody, you know, hails me over the intercom. I'm like, hey, what's up? And, and they're like, uh, hey, uh, I'm a tour guide. We're just, you know, <laughs> cruising around. And we saw you were here. You look like a ship captain. Do you mind answering some questions from the tour group? And I was like, <laughs> sure, whatever. I'm not doing anything. Obviously, some of the other answers are like, absolutely not. I'm going to like blow you out of the sky, yeah. whatever, whatever. But I was like, no, I'll answer some questions. And and they start asking all these questions, and every single time they do, the tour guide comes on and just whispers like, "You don't have to answer these. Like, you, could, you could leave if you want. Like like they're not paying us enough for this. If you don't if you don't want to hang around." I was like, "No no no no, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll, it'll be fine." And, you know, first person is like, "How much money do you make?" And I was like, "So much money." And the next person was like, "Do you kill a lot of people as a captain of your own ship?" I was like, "So many. All I do is blow people out of the sky." And I just kept implying that i was a da more and more dangerous person until they were like okay that's enough for the questions i think we should probably leave and they warped out as quickly as they possibly could just because i continued to lie about how how much of a badass i was so i'm role playing pretty nice guy as well that, that's but the thing incredible the the breadth of this game is astonishing and i think for me, that's what makes it an incredible experience. The the character, the facial animations are probably Bethesda's best, but they're still not Horizon Forbidden right. West or even Ghost of Tsushima or something that, you know, it's a cross, I guess Horizon is a cross-gen game. And I think the first person, I'm playing predominantly first person, you don't have to. I think the shooting is really good. It's not Call of Duty good. But it's it's pretty dang good. It's beyond serviceable, which yes. I was ex I was expecting serviceable, and I got like, oh, this is actually pretty compelling. It's, it's pretty fun. cool. That's the key. It's fun. And it's a dog fun. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I I was very worried about that too. I will tell you, I miss the VAT system. Yes, mm, same. Mm. I love the VAT system. I want the VAT system. I don't think it should be just for Fallout games. I like. I wanted. I wanted it, and I missed it. But I love the dice rolls. 
Yes. I love, I love, I love the layer strategy of all that stuff. And just, it's just, I love it. But and, okay. this game is fun. The shooting, is it, is it destiny Two? No. Right. Yeah. But, but there's enough fun stuff to be able to do and enough and the weapons are fun and like all the, it's fun. It is fun. So go ahead, Christian. It was, yeah. It's the, I think dog fighting is my least favorite. Um, but it is the trade-off of, and maybe one day we'll get a game that can have, you know, Injustice 2's facial animations or Horizon's facial animations and, uh, you know, Forza Horizon's uh, turf uh, modification as you drive over wet materials or something like that. But where we are in games right now, I feel like the trade-offs you 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 are making for some of these things not being the individual components not being the best in the business, but having all of this stuff available to you makes this an incredibly rich and rewarding experience. I ended up on this mission, the side thing that happened where I kept thinking like, kind of like your birthday party hail Jeff, where I was like, this, this guy's full of crap. This this is a trap, but I'm going to keep helping. I'm playing as like a little more money grubby Han Solo is my approach where like, I'm a good guy, but like, if I can get more credits out of you, I'm definitely going to put the squeeze on. Like, Have I'm you not smuggled gonna... anything, Fun. Christian? Have you tried smuggling as a, as a Han Solo smuggler type? I'm dabbling in smuggling at my 12 hour uh, <laughs> okay. playthrough right now. Nice. And so I end up on this thing where I'm like, this, this is, this guy's untrustworthy. I don't, I don't think this is going to, okay, well, I'm going to keep going along with it because this is fun. And I keep going along with it. And we end up in this huge, incredible shootout on this like derelict thing out in the middle of nowhere that existed. And even when we get there, he was like, it is here. <laughs> and I was like, you idiot, you, we're the reason you're, you're here. And we do this thing. We have this other person with us and we have this whole thing happen. And, you know, I say bye to that person and the other person is still there. And this other person looks at me and he goes, you know what? The whole time I thought that guy was full of crap. And I was like, yes, me too. <laughs> Same page. And like that person was like, but it all worked out really well. And, and like to me, you know, for my 12 hours in the game, that was that's my bow of this game. Like you, you go along with it, you keep going, and then you have this incredible experience. And are there a million paper cuts along the way? Probably, but it, it still at this point is doing something that other games don't do. And so while I don't think it will be for everyone, if you're able to meet it where it is right now, I think you will have an incredible experience with it, but it requires you to be open to its shortcomings in order to embrace those more incredible moments. I agree, though, with with Brendan that its shortcomings tend to fall away over time. Or you just kind of get used to them. And the the great stuff rises well, up. I mean, like the that. shooting isn't destiny. The like yeah. nothing, no individual part of this game, in my opinion, is the best version of that thing. Yeah. But it, I'll, it I'll does, just say like but it does all of the things. <laughs> the, the more of it I play, the more grace I am giving those moments because of some of the highs. You know, like I, I think where mm-hmm. I'm at at least, some of the weapons I have found over the course of my playthrough have made the shooting feel even better than it was feeling earlier. Like mm. things like that. The the game is starting to evolve to meet me where I'm at in terms of, you know, my level and my experience and the amount oh, of stuff cool. that I've seen, the amount of stuff that I'm doing. Um, so, so some of the systems have gotten better. For example, I think the skill tree is one of the more interesting things about this game in terms of, you know, Bethesda's growth in, in terms of the ways in which that they've adapted skill trees to their various games. 
this one allows you to not only invest multiple times in the same skill. So for example, if you have your backpack every or your uh, jetpack, you know, every time you use it, there's like a little boost meter, uses some fuel. When you land, it refills. You know, you can level up the, the jetpacking skill. So every time you use the jetpack, it'll use a little bit less fuel. Uh, but also it allows you to role play. For example, if you never invest in the backpack skill in the first or in the jetpack skill, you will not have the ability to use a jetpack at all, which I yeah. love. Yeah. I love the idea that like you don't get a stealth meter in this game unless you invest a skill point in stealth. I, for the longest time, just thought they didn't have a stealth meter in the game until I invested a point in stealth. It was like, oh, that's cool. And then decided that my character wasn't a stealthy guy, which again, a first for me in a Bethesda game, not playing it as a stealth guy. Uh, but I, I love that aspect. Yeah. On the, on the other side of it, when you invest four points in one, in one skill, the fourth, uh, the fourth thing that you unlock is usually like a modified version of it. So, for example, uh, one of the more interesting ones over, I think, on the tech on the tech skill tree is uh, you can invest in one of the skills that makes it so when you use the jetpack, if you're using it next to somebody, they'll light on fire. Yeah, <laughs> because you know you jet away from them, and, and the flames from your jetpack will catch them on fire. If you invest four points into that skill in particular, the top tier of it makes it so when you're in the air and you use your jetpack, time will slow down. So you can, you know, oh, start to awesome. do, do like sick combat maneuvers while you're in the air, which has, again, made combat even more exciting for me. Jetpacks um, are awesome in this game, I will say. And and getting different and out of the game. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> the Getting different jetpacks and like the way that the jet there's different like varieties of jetpackery yeah. in, in it uh, and getting a cool jetpack, uh, you know, is so satisfying in this game. Uh, but yeah, the other thing you didn't mention, which I think is really cool about the skill system, is that in order to invest a second or third or fourth point in one oh, yeah. tier, you have to do a challenge, which is is cool in my opinion because it gives you some fun thing to do, but also it reveals whether or not it's really worthwhile for you to invest in that skill. Because That's I felt a great like point. one of them, I'm like, like you know, a couple times I was like, well, I'm just not using this. I'm not, I haven't uh, done the thing. I have to, I, so I, I guess I really don't want this. You know, I, I haven't really been using it, uh, which mm. I think is kind of cool. A cool side yeah, effect. It, it's, it's the best version of what they did in Skyrim, yeah. which is, you know, the more you use your bow, you'll level up your bow skill. Uh, I love this version of it where you, you, you know, you'll have to, for example, if you're uh, leveling up your, um, I forget what the actual skill is called, but the but the one that makes it so you can use better and better ships. I think it's just piloting. Piloting, uh, yeah. When you when you level up piloting, each each uh, tier of that requires that you shoot more ships out of the sky. Like you need to get into dogfights and and win. Uh, I love I love that. Yeah. I, I think that I think that that's fantastic because not only is it asking me to continue flying, but it's giving me a purpose right. in doing so, and it's in some cases, even steering my character in directions that I wasn't originally going to take it. And, you know, going back to why this game is so fulfilling from a role-playing perspective in particular, it's like, I didn't even know that I was going to be gravitating towards dogfighting in particular, but I really wanted to level up my piloting so I could get a better ship, et cetera, et cetera. And here I am now seeking out dogfights via either just warping from planet to planet, hoping I get into one, or alternatively trying to find some kind of quest or faction that will get me into more dogfights. I also have really enjoyed the dogfights. Christian, I know you said you really didn't think they were that great. I don't know if you've unlocked tracking, 
But oh yeah, that once you kind of start doing tracking in your dog fights, it gets super fun because you can hyper um, hyper target very specific parts of the other ships, so you can disable very specific parts. But it's still arcadey. It's not like Star Trek where it's more like a submarine fight. You know, it really is still a dog fight, but you're you're able to sort of zoom in and hyper target certain areas of a ship. I I thought that it's actually handled pretty darn well. And the other thing that I think the game does that no other Bethesda game has done to this regard to this extent in my opinion is it really gives you a reason to make money. So many of the v- things that you are doing in Starfield are to make money and so many of the kind of ancillary ways you can role play in the world are to make money like you can smuggle things and make money you can start selling certain items you can mine things you can you can you can become a titan of industry in a lot of ways in this game that doesn't have anything to do with touching the quests and in a lot of games it's like well yeah it's awesome to see that number go up in my bank account but like what am i going to do just buy a better gun at the store that you know the the quests are where they get the cool stuff in this game like you have these massive investments of a spaceship, which are awesome and super expensive. You want to save up <laughs> and you buy these wildly expensive, cool spaceships or parts to, you know, change out on your spaceship. And so it makes making loads of money in these games, doing things to a- acquire funds really uh, useful and and um, attractive, you know? Yeah, I, I find that the economy is balanced in a way where I always am just short of what I am excited about. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Which I, th- I think is a great place to be. I'm curious, Jeff, have you, we don't have to get into specifics, obviously, but have you f- played through the main campaign at all yet? I'm, I believe I'm right at the end of it. Uh, I wanted to finish it out before nice. we had this discussion, but I keep getting distracted by other things. And, yeah, and I t- totally, I viable. didn't want to be the guy, like I, been waiting for this game for so long i love these kinds of games these games come around once every eight years you know 10 years it's it, it's and and i love following my curiosity in these games and like getting onto a quest line with a completely different faction and being like oh man that's interesting i'm gonna keep doing that or whatever it is or you know some lady will flag me down and be like hey can you help my farm and i'm like yeah you know what i am gonna help your farm because i'm awesome <laughs> and I, I didn't want to be the guy who was like mainline the you know mainline the quest and, and be able to talk about it on the show so i've you know i'm very excited to hear because i've heard new game plus is a thing um so i i i'm curious about that i'm excited about that yeah i all, all i'll say uh is, is i personally feel that this is my favorite main quest in a Bethesda game. Yeah. Um, and I think the ways in which they intrinsically link both the narrative and what you're doing mechanically in a Bethesda game, and even some of the narrative around this game in Starfield, like just the making of this game in Bethesda Game Studios as like a company, I think is really interesting. Um, I, I, and this is just my read, but I, I've started to notice it. I, I started to pick up on it in the main quest. I'm starting to see it now in side quests. But I think a lot of the game thematically is exploring not just the idea of exploration, but is exploring the idea of ambition and, and the cost of ambition in particular, which is 
you know, a hot button topic, I imagine, if you're working at Bethesda Game Studios and making what is potentially going to be your next Skyrim yeah. and potentially the next game that could, you know, send shockwaves through the ways in which we perceive and 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 our uh, bars of expectation for open world games in the future. Um, and I think that's fascinating. I think it's so interesting to have a have a game studio ask questions in their own work about the work that they're making, you know, to have yeah. that metatextual layer to it. Um, I've noticed it in some of the faction side quests I've done. I've noticed it in some of the companion side quests I've done. Um, I, I think once you start looking at it through that lens, the game kind of opens up r- into a really rich thematic vein that they just continue to mine. And like, I'm so stoked about whatever the next 80 to 100 hours of this are. Uh, it, it feels so focused. I will ask you this as somebody who's been through it. Uh, yeah. Would you suggest to people to stay on the main quest, finish that out before getting, you know, kind of mainline the the main quest uh, or sort of, of follow I, your curiosity. I'm of two minds about it because of course I would want to encourage people to just follow their curiosity because as, as you have mentioned, that is like one of the tentpole pieces of playing a Bethesda game. I will say uh, when it comes to the idea of playing through the main quest and jumping into new game plus the hype is very real. I don't want to say why or how, but, um, some of the stuff that they do towards the end of the game, I think is really, really, really interesting. And I personally am glad that I had kind of, uh, an amuse-bouche of Starfield on my first playthrough, getting to roll credits for the first time. I played through the main quest, but I did an entire faction. I did the, uh, the Freestar Collective, which was like the, the kind of like space cowboy mm-hmm. ranger faction. Um, I had one companion whose entire side quest I, I made it through, uh, which was fun. I did all of that, and then I finished the main quest, and I jumped into New Game Plus, and I am very happy having done that. So uh, you, you, that, you didn't wish, oh, I wish I had done this before doing all that other stuff. No regrets at all. In fact, to me, that feels like the ideal way to do it. It's like I, I just kind of tried a couple things, but really stuck to the main quest. I think the other side of this also is if you're new to the game and you feel like it's not really quite clicking with you yet, just keep playing the main quest for a while because I think there is specifically a narrative turn that happens in the main quest, which will both pique your curiosity in terms of uh, widening the scope of what you think the possibility space of Starfield is. But on top of that, it's just going to teach you how to play Starfield mm-hmm. and then and will allow you to be more equipped to chase the things that you're curious about when they when your curiosity is peaked it also brings you to all these cool new locations uh totally. which is cool and it shows you it the brings scope you to all except one of the main cities if i if i recall correctly yeah the, it, it's certainly easy to start at new atlantis and just be bogged because one of the things that happens in this game is you get quests baby you get <laughs> you don't even have to be looking for them. You'll walk around, you'll overhear a conversation, and it'll be like, "Hey, you got to just got a quest. You heard this dude mention something in passing. Now it's yeah. a quest. You will get quests uh, coming out your wazoo, you know. So it it is very easy if you're like me and you're like, I got to do everything. People need me. They need me. Um, it's it very easy to just sort of get bogged down and stay in, in one place and try to complete out all the stuff that happens there. And I think. One of the cool things about the main quest is that it, it really does bring you to all these very disparate locations and you get to see how many different kinds of things there are to do in this game um, and places to visit. And I thought, honestly, I thought the the main cities were pretty cool with how different they are. You know, you know, like you said, there's like an old west one. There's like a Blade Runner cool like neon. You know, it's literally called neon. 
Um, it's called Neon, yeah. Yeah, uh, which is awesome. And it, it, there's all kinds of really, I mean, they really had a broad, I painted with a broad brush, I thought, which I, I thought was pretty neat. Um, yeah, yeah, they're really exploring uh, a lot of different ideas, which I think wrapping this all back around to, you know, I, I can never really quite click with Fallout. This very much feels to me like I'm getting what I wanted out of Fallout in a lot of ways. Um, and I think also you brought up this is Skyrim in space. My my big soapbox that I'm standing on with this game is I was I was expecting Sky, Skyrim in space. What I'm getting instead is Oblivion in space specifically. And I don't know how you feel about this, Jeff, as somebody who also really liked Oblivion. But so much of this game screams Oblivion to me. You know, it's like taking my companion with me to see one of the most incredible things that I've ever seen in a video game breaking the boundaries of space time whatever 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 and my companion turns to me and goes i found this would you like it and hands me a sandwich you know <laughs> right, right, completely right. completely disconnected from what's going on you know it's watching an npc spontaneously combust a new atlantis and then getting arrested for it even though i wasn't involved things like that like i love that stuff in bethesda games and that is here in starfield oh yeah and i know that at this point i think gamers have a kind of different lens by which they view bugs yeah but i think the bethesda stamp on bugs is so charming and so funny and this game isn't like hard crashing on me all the time it's not doing the things that i think people like really really hate but it is every once in a while becoming just this kind of like the play that goes wrong every once in a while and i I love it (laughs) yeah it is that that to me is like the heart and soul of bethesda games in a lot of ways you know is watching the dragon implode on itself (laughs) things like like i love that stuff and that is also present here i was in just to set expectations for people yeah i i I think the jank level if if you want to call it that is lower than other release date bethesda adventures at least in my experience yeah definitely at launch there's never been a bethesda game that is this like solid but it's not zero it's not zero right. jank right yeah uh and tasteful jank yeah there's been a few things i had a, a conversation i saw witness a conversation where this lady was leaning on the a counter talking to one of the main characters in my game and i was just watching listening to them talk and then she just started started drifting to the right not moving <laughs> any muscle of her body but just drifting and then she started drifting through the wall and they're still having the conversation she's just drifting through the wall so it's not zero jank but it's also delightful i had another in Aquila City, like I'm, I'm just wandering around talking to people, getting the quests, and I hear like gunfire in the distance. And, uh, and I, later on, I walk around uh, in a different section of the city, and there's just dead security guards just <laughs> laying all around. Dead security guards. I'm like, wow, some stuff went down here. I what heard happened? it happen. Yeah. <laughs> I was not privy to what it was, but something happened here. This is what I'm all about. That's the thing is like there's the possibility space that Bethesda has authored. And that yeah. stuff is amazing. There are voice lines for everything. There are so many different narrative directions and, and different ways you can take things. They will respect if you are investing in persuasion and there will be a lot of persuasion checks. That stuff is fantastic. Yeah. And then there's the possibility space that is created by just the ambition of trying to make 1,000 planets in a video game <laughs> yes. where there is the community theater aspect of it. And I, I love it. It's, it's stellar. Uh, Christian, I want to give you another uh, a chance to weigh in. We were, going, we're going long already. But I, I, um, I just want to – I can't leave this without mentioning how much I love – because you mentioned persuasion – how much I love the little mini games. 
particularly Ooh, the, the lock picking, picking is yeah. so great. So great. Digi picking. Dude. So <laughs> great. In fact, I have leveled up my my digi picking and I kind of wish I hadn't because it makes it easier. And I oh. love the little puzzle of it so much. I don't even need to describe it to folks, but it's such a cool way to pick locks. Way better, I think, than Skyrim's like, wait till it vibrates. Like this is literally a cool puzzle that never, in my opinion, gets any less cool. It's just yeah. fun to do. Yeah, totally agree. I love the lockpicking. And the Persuasion minigame also. I, I, I find that that's always my litmus test for RPGs that that claim on the surface to be you know really deep in terms of allowing you to roleplay however you want. I always invest in Persuasion and hope that they honor that. Yeah. Um, this game, I will say, um, I made it through some critical story moments without needing to engage with them at all because I was able to talk my way out of them. Uh, I have that's to, all I'll say yeah. about it. But every time it happens, I yell out loud in my apartment. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool it's a cool thing where it's not just like roll the dice and see if your persuasion works. It really is. You you have to kind of have a little bit of skill and be listening. Yes. The game very much honors you paying attention to it um, a number of times, which I always love where it's like it's not just going to give you the answer like you had to be listening. I, I dig it. Uh, yeah. I'm, go ahead. I'm curious. uh what what traits you guys picked for your characters? Did you did you pick any fun traits? Because because you have your skills that you can pick. Yeah, but you also have traits. Things like did you grow up on neon? For example, yeah, I picked anxiety. Is what I picked. <laughs> how can you pick any of these traits? It's the classic. Like this sounds cool. Read the second sentence. Oh, I can't pick this one. <laughs> They're tough. They're tough. I uh, went with I, an industrialist, which is oh, so weird is because it's like Mister Capitalism, which is not exactly how I would frame myself, but it. It had a really cool combination of traits, backstory, and uh, starting skills, because I also love persuasion, but it like started with yeah. persuasion and some tech stuff, too. And it has been awesome how much I've been rewarded for being an industrialist in this, because I'm like... <laughs> oh, no, they'll... wrong lessons. Wrong lessons. <laughs> <laughs> but it's awesome. The, well, because no matter what your background is, we've already described, the beginning of this game you're a miner, right? You're in a mining colony. So yeah. the, like to be an industrialist is like you fell on hard times. You like you, you were an industrialist, but now you fell on hard times. But it's cool that so in so many situations, I can use my industrialist trait to like level with people and, and be like, listen, we both know how this business works. You know, it's so, it's really cool. It's, it's I love it. Anyway. Yeah, that stuff is so good. I picked a, uh... Uh, on the traits, I picked uh, one of them was kid stuff, which uh, makes it so you have a mom and dad wow. who are in the game mm -hmm. uh, yeah. and will every once in a while send you letters Amazing. and you can go you can go visit them. They live on New Atlantis. Uh, one of my favorite moments of the game is I was in Neon, just like doing quests on Neon, which again is the kind of like seedy Blade Runner-esque cyberpunk Night City kind of space. And uh, I went into the like dingy nightclub with just this like incredible house music blaring people dancing all over the place very clearly like people are doing all these weird space drugs and i see on the bottom a subtitle show up that goes oh no and it says that my mom said it and i and i walk Your i mom walk is over to the in corner the of the club and my and both mom and dad are in the club amazing and i talk to them and they're like this can't be happening. And I was like, why are you here? And they were like, just pretend you didn't see no us. No way. 
And I was, and I was that's like, amazing. And I was like, uh, okay, I guess. Are you like, what's going on here? And the dad was just like, you know, your mom wanted to go on vacation. I thought this would be fun. Just pretend you didn't see us. Just turn the other Unbelievable. way. Unbelievable. And, and, and I did. And the next time I went back, they were gone. They were just there briefly, and then they left. And they just keep popping up randomly every once game in a while, like throughout the main game quest. of the year. Parents, fantastic, awkward club experience. Game of the year. Game of the year. And if you're, I'll just, I'll just sign it off with: if you're an Oblivion fan, definitely pick the hero worship one because it brings back the adoring fan. Oh, that's from Oblivion, great. Yeah, and you can bring him on as your companion, and he's unbelievable. He will just applaud every time you take off and land your <laughs> ship. He's like ten out of ten take off <laughs> every time. It rocks. It rocks. I love this game. So I much, love it guys. too. I love this game. I want to be playing it right now. Christian, I know we're super late. I wanted to hear you talk about Armored Core. We probably should, we don't have time. Christian, uh, give me some last uh, observations. You said you you love it more than you've loved Bethesda games. Yeah, I think this game is a triumph. I think there was a lot of um, questions as to when it was shown. And, 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 so I'm going to make, I guess, two declarations. Then I have a question for you, Jeff, that maybe will tee us up for either a Wednesday show or next week as we continue to talk about this game. My first declaration that I've been meaning to say on the show but haven't in a while is I'm going to do my best to no longer categorize a game as a, quote, Game Pass game. I, I, I want to try to personally get that out of my vocabulary and just discuss the merits of a game, whether or not you pay for the service, because at the end of the day, time is our most valuable resource. Instead of being like, well, you have it. Why not try it? Like really convey uh, a little more nuanced discussion. This is for me um, as I approach these games. And so with that declaration said, I will say, I think Starfield 12 hours in is a triumph of a game whose scale makes up for the, the paper cuts that you'll suffer along the way. The other declaration I'll make is this is a safe space if this game does not click for you. I totally can understand how I think even prior Bethesda fans might approach Starfield in a way and they might not have the Brendan, you know, 10 hours in experience and have it click for them. And totally. I, I, I totally can see that happening to folks that come into this game and whether it's the space setting or, or, or you know, some aspect of it doesn't quite give them what they want. I understand that you are seen, you are heard. Those feelings are valid. My question for you, Jeff, that I would love to have this discussion with you at some point is going back through this show, the last couple of years or whatever it's been, I was the highest on Starfield based on what we were shown throughout presentations. I think famously two years ago, you and Anthony Taormina, hi, Anthony, we love you, you know, had this, oh no, this game doesn't look like it's going to be great for me kind of conversation after it was first shown. And I was like, I don't know. I think it looks awesome. There are guns and jetpacks and whirly birds and all this stuff. And I, I was very high on it at the time. And I would love to hear from you at some point, Jeff, as a teaser, the to be continued, you know, the last infinity stone glimmering in the distance about what you think changed from what was shown to now your play experience, because I feel like uh, this is a top five for you, Jeff. And it was not a top five for you based on prior presentations. Well, we don't have that have that conversation now, but I think more. That's what I'm saying. I'm teeing it up yeah, for later. Mo- just it up the, for later. the preview of it is is more that I was worried. I was worried. Mm. I was worried, mm. and I think I kind of mentioned a little bit of that today. Of of worried about how they were going to mesh what they've done with this new, you know, these layers of scale. This this 
this, you know, incredible order of magnitude, more ambitious way mm -hmm. of exploration. You know, it's like, how do you explore a whole planet, you know, and how do you explore thousands of whole planets? And I think ultimately it's fun. And I, I <laughs> ultimately it's fun. It's fun. And, and there every single time, th th this is the key sentence for me. Every single time I set foot on a, a planet, there's more I want to do on the planet than I have time to do. Mm. You know what I mean? There's always something over the rise that I, oh man, I would love to just walk over there. I wish this game had vehicles. Like, yeah, I keep thinking about that. It needs vehicles, really. I mean, it, it, there's the amount of space you go, you know, you travel to get to a thing. That's going to be DLC, definitely. It'd be great. Um, Even the dustiest space rock, though. I know what you mean. Like, you, you land on something, you're like, there's nothing here. Oh, never mind. There's 10 points of interest on my scan. Yeah. You go, oh, I wonder what that is. And even when you get there and it's not that interesting, it's still interesting. And, yeah. you know, I don't know. Oh, it's just a gas vent. Okay, cool. I'll scan it and get some experience and move yeah. on. <laughs> I, w I walked into a cave that was just a cave that literally had one entrance and, and an exit on the other side. And I went through and it had some alien creatures in it. But it looked awesome. It had like all these crystals and cool stuff. And I was like, I'm really glad I took the time to come here. And the game is always rewarding you. You know, just finding a new point of interest is like gives you XP. It's, 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 there's never a, well, that was a dumb waste of my time, which to be frank is one of my criticisms of No Man's Sky. It, it was always like, well, I went all the way over here and I went down to this thing and there wasn't anything there there. It's like, well, it's procedurally generated, you know, yeah. like, that's the reason. Um, anyway, the, the conversation I wish we had time for with Brendan is, I would love to compare and contrast this game with Baldur's Gate 3. Because oh, yeah. I think that's the question that a lot of people are going to be asking themselves at this time. There's of time for both. <laughs> What's that? There's time for both? <laughs> There's time for both games. <laughs> well, I just think they're both like once in a decade level rpg experiences that happen to come out within weeks of each other which is yeah in this case the console release happening on the same day right oh my I think God. The ps5 console release for baldur's gate is also on september 6th it's nuts it's nuts and i do think they are such different flavors i mean there's a lot of similarities and a lot of differences and i i it's I, I wish I would let we could talk for two hours about just that. I think would be. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. And I definitely want you to hit me up when you finish that main quest. I will. Yeah. Got to talk about it. Uh, all right. Well, um, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. I know we're super long. We do have party <laughs> gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But Brendan Bigley, it's been so awesome having you here and and talking about this game. Thank you for coming. Yeah, so glad to come back, especially for Starfield of all games. Uh, tell folks where they can keep up with you and all the cool stuff you do online. Yeah, totally. Uh, so I have a podcast called Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. You can catch it every single Wednesday at intothecast.online. I think the most notable release recently, we uh, played over the course of a year and reviewed just about every single game for the Sega Dreamcast. So you can go wow, check that out. Cool. Uh, and elsewhere, I'm just apprehended bigly on everything. Follow me on threads or whatever, whatever, whatever you're feeling. Whatever the thing is that people are doing, I guess, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm there. What do people do as now? my own name. I don't even know what people are doing. Uh, Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? Well, for folks that uh, haven't heard it yet, uh, Brenda and I got together on 
uh, into the Aether and did a mini episode where we got to geek out about Immortals of Avian more because while these all these other once in a generation RPGs are coming out, a very cool new fantasy first person magic game came out, and so yeah. it was a very fun conversation where we got to sing more of its praises and the cool stuff that's happening and and I hope to see more of especially in you know the days of Embracer shuttering studios I hope more games like Immortals come out and continue to get made cuz I love those those big weird swings and then I will also say go listen to their Dreamcast episode I think it's over 6 hours just which about I think yeah was like oh, two weeks of dog walks for me um <laughs> but Bingo was always very excited to when I needed to listen to more podcasts. She was like, Thank all right, you so we, much. Almost <laughs> exactly the same on. length of time that the Dreamcast existed. I mean, it, it <laughs> feels longer, uh, <laughs> but both just as important. Um, and then this show is on threads. Uh, we're having fun over there. Uh, are so we? It's a fun place to hang out. Sure. Uh, we are. The show, it's yeah, a fun, no, it's we a are. fun, it's a, you are having fun over there. It's <laughs> a fun you. follow. Yeah, it's a fun follow. It's DLC hype train on threads. And uh, this show, we don't mention this enough. If you want to give someone a fr- an easy URL to find it, this show, instead of saying like, oh, on your podcast provider, you can go to dlcpod.com. And that is a nice, easy peasy URL to get directed to the basic RSS of this show. So share it with friends, tell people about it. This is a great show to listen to while you explore the emptiness of space. <laughs> oh, such a good podcast game. Yeah. Well, and it, Starfield really is. It really is. You can uh, follow me on those places. I'm at Jeff Kanata, pretty much all the places. Uh, also, uh, I have other podcasts, including the Filmcast, where we talk about movies and TV shows. Uh, we Have Concerns, a comedy science show. And uh, the uh, the Fan Controlled Show, which is about sports and goof goofery, various goof goofs. Um, and also the, the DLC book club, book club is available on YouTube. On my YouTube page, uh, youtube.com slash Kanata Jeff. All right, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is parting gift. Brendan, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? I do, yeah. Uh, I read a book a while back that I just wanted to shout out because I, n- I never have a, a place to talk about uh, books that I'm reading. But I read a book called Vita Nostra uh, by Marina and Sergei Diachenko, um, which is a really interesting take on the uh, person goes to a magic school genre. Um, I'll just say uh, it's pretty heavy. It asks a lot of questions about um, what it what it means to learn magic and how that changes your body and mind and makes you almost unrecognizable to the people that you knew growing up, uh, growing up. It is fascinating. It is pretty heavy. So just a heads up before you go in, I I wouldn't recommend this to like everybody. It's not like quite, uh, uh, the magicians or Harry Potter experience, but, uh, Vita Nostra is one of the best books I read this year. So check it out. I am checking this out. I did not heard of it, but that has intrigued me. Very, very cool. Um, Christian Spicer, what about you? Good parting gift? Dear listener, would you be surprised to know that my parting gift is one, music, and two, has to do with The Midnight? Oh, here we are. Who would have guessed? <laughs> Who would have guessed either of those things coming from me in this show? Um, band of the show, I think, Jeff, it's safe to say, The Midnight. Um, Definitely. Perennial favorite 
band of the show if we were ever to do a you know bands of the show episode <laughs> the midnight constantly number one you know what our, we do for our game of the year our annual just our bands, bands of the show episode that everybody tunes in for <laughs> all right guys we know it's end of the year and you really want to hear our favorites of the year so i will tell you um blink 182 remains solid in my top five everybody really really good year hard to deny taylor swift's year you know probably a number four year for um no the midnight has a new album out red white and bruised the midnight live and you and I have both talked about seeing the Midnight Live and how incredible of an experience that is. If you are able to see them live, do it. If you have not seen them live and you cannot see them live, this album, I think, really captures a lot of that fun energy and kind of the riffs they go on when they play live and the unique sound that you know live music can bring to a band that you love already. So it's available streaming all the places and you can get cool LPs directly from them and stuff like that. Red, white and bruised the midnight live. It's excellent. Surprise. <laughs> they are so good. So good. They're so good. They're so good. Um, my uh, family and I watched all the way through the uh, avatar, the last airbender series, uh, which was no, uh, no shortage of delight for me as someone who loved it when it first aired and like dreamed about sharing it with my offspring uh and now they did it we we did it we w watched all the way through it It was awesome and i have been searching for a worthy successor uh people are like what about cora legend of cora it's like yeah well that's gonna happen not yet but we i wanted something else uh and we have found an awesome uh, very similar in tone adventure series with serialized storytelling it just hit netflix it's called mech cadets and oh my goodness, are we loving it. My son is all over the show. The whole family has been digging it. Just awesome 3D animation on this. Uh, I think it's a gorgeous looking show. And it's about, you know, it's very much a trope that you have seen a thousand times, but it's done very, very well here in that it is young kids. Uh, they get picked to be pilots for uh, giant robots, giant mechs like uh, um, Pacific Rim style. They get, you know, linked to their mech. And uh, an unlikely kid, uh, the kid, the son of the janitor, gets picked by a mech to be uh, bonded with it and so joins the mech cadet program. All of that sounds very much stuff we've seen before, but I just love this show. I think it's very well written. I think it's beautifully animated. Such great action sequences. We're loving it. The first season just hit Netflix. This is based on a Greg Pak um, uh, comic book series from Boom, uh, which I never read, but I'm going to read now. I think this show is fantastic. It's called Mech Cadets, and it's on Netflix. Perfect for seven-year-olds uh, like my son. We also got a listener-suggested parting gift. This was sent to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. It comes from Neil Oliver from California. Neil says, uh, I have a parting gift for y'all and the community. If you love video games... And I think you do because you're listening to this. And if you love music, which you probably do, then I have a curation idea I've been running with lately that's been a lot of fun and I think you'll love. Back in 2019, I started writing a list of every game I played. This was not to rank the games, but merely to take record of them. I love that I now have a nostalgia backlog to revisit. But even better, Spotify's video game, video game albums have really expanded over the past few years. So now I've been listening to the albums of the games I played year by year. 
We all wish we could replay some of the best games even for the fir- uh, ever for the first time, which, of course, is impossible. However, I found listening to these soundtracks to be the next best thing. Hope this is something you might enjoy, and I love the show. Thanks for keeping it going after all these years. Uh, thank you, Neil. Uh, what a cool idea. I love that, Neil. Right? That's so good. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Uh, check out Spotify's video game album section and maybe uh, revisit some of your favorites in music form. If you'd like to have your parting gift read on our show, send it to us. We love getting them at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. All right. That's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Brendan Bigley and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for the great bumpers. Our theme song was composed by White Cube, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold. You can get swag for the show, hats and t-shirts, at dlcswag.com, which was created by Jesse J. Anderson. Thank you for that. Our biggest thanks, however, go to our patrons for making this show possible. You can become one of them at patreon.com slash dlcpod. Our top-tier patrons, our hype train-level patrons, get their names read out at the end of every episode, which I'm going to do right now. Oh, yeah. Dwayne T. Robinson and Tyler Buckwild Bro. Rob Wonder, Rob Dominguez, and Stephen T. Cypher. It's Kevin and Dave. It's Brian, your Dan. It's Joe DeFrank and Scott Lambert, Hyperboy66. Oh, it's David F. And sure you can. It's comedian Ellen Tran and John C. Scope. It's Curtis from Louisville. It's Michael S. and Joyce. Relentless Rex and Anthony Goulas. It's Kyle Starr and Dan Flanagan. It's Riley Knox and Rob Rickman. It's Sasan and Hank Patton. It's Adam Denby. It's Scooby Diesel. It's Cheese Bob. And Victor Valenzuela It's Chris Zacharias It's Jonathan Talbot Matt Bradley It's Will with one L Harris It's Jeff Luxack And Mitchell Ness It's Jonathan Putney It's Jimmy Radcliffe And Mark Gowland It's Malcolm King And Dan Palmino It's Scott Hughes It's Ben It's Jenny Well it's Nate It's Stu Goss Kevin Brazel It's Jonathan the Spice Man Forever Schlepford of the Stuff and Junk Show Podcast. It's the Spice Man Silencer and Soaring Silk. Oh, 
you know it's Yick and Jackson and Travis. It's Mike Lombardo and Michael Buck. It's Michael Stadler and Peter Oberg. It's Nick Strauss-Klein. It's Josh Peake and Christian Bravery. It's Chad! <laughs> it's Taylor Wiggers. It's Octavian Ratsiu. It's Jason Novak. These are the people that make DLC impossible. These are the ones who let us swing. Thanks. All right, that's it for this episode. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.